No, 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 no. You gotta listen to the way people talk. You don't say affirmative or some shit like that. You say no problemo. And if someone comes up with an attitude, you say eat me. And if you really want to shine them on it, hasta la vista, baby. Hasta la vista, baby. Hey, you guys. Hey, you guys. Hey, you guys. Hey, you guys. I'm Liam, this is Rob, and this week we are once again joined by Terminator superfan Dan Goldsworthy for what has to be amongst the greatest sequels of all time, and undoubtedly one of the defining movies of the 90s. A few weeks ago, we covered Jurassic Park and discussed how that movie moved the industry forward leaps and bounds in a way that has sadly been all too rare in the decades since its release. Well, James Cameron's Terminator 2 did much the same in 1991, and while there might not be any dinosaurs, of course, it did have a T-1000 made out of a metic polyalloy, or to us layman's, liquid metal. Uh, like Jurassic Park, though, it is managed to end like a fine wine thanks to its inspired combination of mostly physical uh, physical effects and relatively sporadic use of what was, at the time at least, cutting-edge CG, I suppose. So I don't know about you guys, but I, for one, find it very hard to believe that this movie was made more than 30 years ago, which makes me feel old as dirt. I but mean, um, it certainly holds up. The problem that we have is all these films now are making us feel old as dirt. Like, it's insane. Mm-hmm. Like, we're watching these films that we grew up with, and it's fantastic, and then somebody says, oh, yeah, by the way, it's nearly 40 years old. You go, fuck off. No, it's nearly 40 years old. Can I say something? I love this film. I will mm-hmm. not shit a lot on this film, but your introduction <laughs> makes yeah. me... When I watched this film last night, I fucking hate John Connor in this film. Really? He's a whiny bitch, dude. I don't I like read, the whiny bit. Oh my god, I, I have a completely different read on that. So I'm going to go to Dan as the third party because I think Ed Furlong is absolutely brilliant in this movie. Oh, he's I, good at being I, a whiny bitch. He's brilliant at being a whiny bitch. I don't know. I buy it. Like for what is he? Twelve years old? I yeah. think he. I think he ticks every box for somebody considering that they found this kid in like a playground, ostensibly, which is maybe one of the only things. That ages this film. You just can't imagine that happening in 2022, can you? Some like movie producer coming, coming up to a kid in a playground. Hey, kid, you want to be in the movies? Even you would be arrested fucking immediately. Even his motorbike whined. Like that chasing against the the truck when he when Robert Patrick is chasing down the thing, and you've got his motorbike going. I'm trying. Oh my god. (laughs) Sorry, Dan. Cut in. (laughs) Sorry. Well, typically, this is the case. If you guys disagree, and this is going to be really boring here, I always am bang slap in the middle of you. If you guys agree, I agree. If you disagree, I'm in the middle. I think Ed Furlong in this movie is good, but he's kind of like Bart Simpson, isn't he? Like he's he's got that eat my shorts whiny nasal voiced by a sort of not quite uh, you know kid gone through puberty voice. And and it reminds me a little bit also of Luke in the first Star Wars, where once you notice that he whines, you notice that he whines. And as yeah. long as you as long as you haven't picked up on that fact, it doesn't actually really bother you too much. But I will agree that he does he does whine a lot through it. But loads of kid actors are rubbish, especially if they've not got any training or what have you. <laughs> and I I certainly don't think his performance in it worsens the movie anyway. Oh, no, I will totally he's agree. He's a whiny kid. Like, kids might be at that time. I will know? totally agree. He's, yeah. he's a great actor. He's doing fantastic in this. I mean, it's probably just that he has to be a whiny bitch in this film. And it just... Well, it's weird. I, again, I, I don't think you give him enough credit for the fact that he's 12 years old because you've got to buy him as being, like, vulnerable. He's got to be cool in this movie. And that is one of the things that's 
I, I think underrated in his performance, is that for a 12-year-old kid, he is actually quite cool. Like he's the not. way he dresses. I, I think he is like, like dude, have you met most 12-year-old kids? 12-year-old kids by definition aren't cool. I, I will go on dressed... record and say no, I don't hang around with 12-year-old kids. Okay. <laughs> no, no, that's so, fair. I enough. haven't met a lot of 12-year-old kids. Okay. <laughs> I, I mean more like on screen. I can't think of many like you know, young kids on film where you're like, oh, that kid's cool. And I like I said, I don't think he totally pulls off because he is kind of lame, because again, he's 12 years old. But for the most part, it's like I believe in when he like being quite tough for his age, he's resourceful. I totally buy him as that. Even as like, and it's one of the, the things which Again, you notice more with the sequels. It's a, I buy the idea that he would grow up to be a future leader in the way that I totally didn't buy, like, say, Nick Stahl in Terminator 3. Like, you just never bought into the idea that he was going to be this great leader of men, despite the fact that he was already an adult. I do get that. And his serious tones, I, I think he, he delivered perfectly. Right, but it's just when he started whining, it's, it's Edward Furlong's voice as well, the greats. Yeah. Like, yeah, when yeah. he starts whining, it grates. The dad in me, though, really wanted to take him for a haircut. Like he kept fucking moving that bloody that one bang out of his eyes constantly. I just wanted to take him for a haircut. Dude. Well, this is the time. The 90s, I was going to say it was the nineties. Yeah, though. I know. <laughs> it, it's. I mean, my hair was way lamer than that, even five years later. So I, I yeah. don't think it's that bad. You might look at it and go, "That's not the coolest hair." Although his friend, what was his friend's name? Tim. His mullet the, game was the on ginger mullet kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His mullet game was on point, and ginger <laughs> mullet as well. See, you're saying that like you prefer to have the ginger mullet over John Connor's kind of like floppy fringe. Well, I mean, let's be clear. You want to go like, cool. You, know, you want to go cool, right? Ginger mullet and a, uh, was it a denim vest? That's <laughs> a, a big statement. But no, it was the time clearly of fringes because one of the things I had never noticed before is just how goddamn long Sarah Connor's fringes. Yes. It's so long. It goes down to her nose. And I, I don't know, maybe she pulls it off because she's just such a badass in this movie. But her fringe is outrageously long. So it was clearly a thing going on in 1991, long, floppy fringes. Watching this but, film as well, you say about Sarah Connor, it really shocked me. I don't know why, when the doctor turned around and says, next patient, there's a 29-year-old female. I was like, like, fuck, Sarah Connor is 29. Then I realized I've grown up with her being 29 when I was like 11. Then I mm-hmm. bypassed her. Now I've got, now, like, oh, she's always been 29 in this film. But for some reason, for me, 29 yeah. seems young. young. No, how old do you know how old she was when she actually made this? Uh, so now you brought it up. I'm, find out, well, the thing is, I mean, whatever you say about it, I, I'm I'm actually surprised myself when you say that. I assume she was a bit, a bit older, but again, we take it for granted now. But in terms of like a cinematic transformation, I don't think there's been a greater cinematic transformation and reintroduction than Sarah Connor. Like when we left her, she had the you know the ridiculous 80s hair, she worked in the shop, and obviously she was very much the kind of like obviously she had a moment at the end when you got that hint of the badass that she would become with the you're terminated fucker, that that kind of last line. But then that introduction when you know you've got the, the doctors walking down the corridor and she turns around and she is fucking shredded. She's like, Hello, Dr. Silverman, how's the knee? And she's like talking through her eyebrows like a proper psycho. And immediately you just like you buy her as a badass in that moment, a hundred percent. I think it would Sorry, Dan. Sorry, Dan. She was say, being far off. She was 34, 35 when she filmed this. That's that's uh, that's what she looks to me. She yeah. looks like a proper grown-up. Sorry, Dan. I was gonna say she's that you know, in in terms of a physique that fits the character, she like you say, she absolutely nails it. I mean, yeah. in terms of cinematic transformations, I'd have probably said Christian Bale's between the machinist and like the dark knight where he put on a <laughs> seven billion pounds of muscle. Yeah. I mean, different characters and all that, but the thing is, having watched Terminator 2 first as a kid, 
I can't remember the point when I'd have gone back and watched the first one and gone, oh my, she just looks like a soft, just post teenage, early twenties, mm-hmm. normal person. Because in this, like you say, she's shredded, but in that way where you're not exactly getting your protein intake, like every sinew on her body. You oh yeah. See. And I, I seem to remember reading years ago that she fucking hated the workout regime that she had to do because it was brutal. And you can oh, see because she's just so like, she is just so lean and especially wh- whatever the, uh, the lighting is on it, you can always see her shoulder definition. And like you said, she, you almost get that. She's like a baddie in a horror film when she's looking through her eyes, like, hi, Dr. Silberman, how's the knee? And like the wet sweat hair is that go- long fringe again. Yeah. It's, it comes into play. Nice. Yeah. It's like kind of, Hey, it's from like a, thingy from the shining um you know almost like <laughs> hey jo- here's johnny or whatever you know through the- yeah yeah well you buy it like in that moment i i and I guess you know again it's always hard to kind of judge like looking back because we all watch this as kids and you, you watch it in a different way when you're like 10 years old 11 years old but if you were coming to this for the first time and of course you know you've just gone from sarah connor being this kind of like you know kind of everyday girl next door thing and then you see that see her there looking through her eyebrows like a real kind of psycho and she's in the kind of you know for lack of a better term loony bin i suppose and it's just like oh has she legitimately gone insane kind of thing in that moment but yeah like whether she the fact that she looks like she belongs there you totally buy into it but in terms of like removing the need for narrative like you don't need to have an exposition dump about sarah connor's life for the last five ten years because you can see it all over her face and body it's like oh i know what's happened and you don't need that on screen sorry how old how old is john connor in this film did you say edward 12 12 is john connor 12 yeah yeah 12 yeah sure i think so yeah so sarah connor would have been 17 probably 16 in terminator one that's what they're kind of alluding to. So yeah, she would, and she wasn't that young. I mean, that's the, that's the problem with this yeah, film. But the, the league of legal, the, the age of legal consent is 18 in America. So Kyle Reese basically did statutory <laughs> rape. Is that what we're going with? I mean, yeah, now that you put it that way. So 29, so she would have had 20. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. He's 12, as you say, he's 17, yeah, yeah. but nine months before that, she could have been theoretically 16. In yeah, but she's it's definitely in, suspect. But in T T one, she's able to go into nightclubs and stuff. So, well, that is the, that is the thing. Timeline. She's she's clearly, and I don't know what her age is officially supposed to be. This could be another bit of research for someone to do while someone else is talking. But she clearly wasn't sixteen, seventeen in this movie. She, like she was living with a friend. She was away from home. That's what I mean. Like yeah. my impression is like the first film. She was like 24, 25. So the whole John Connor thing and her being twenty nine. Not only does it not make sense. Not only does it look weird. She doesn't look twenty nine. But it's like she she's already like you say thirty four, thirty five year old. Yeah. You know, in real I life. Love it, right? Why do they feel the need to make a twenty nine this movie when it makes no sense? In a film about time travel, in a film about timelines, we're questioning ages. <laughs> I know. Well, it's that thing, though, isn't it? It's like you know, you, you it's easier to believe the impossible than the improbable. Because just going Absolutely. back, to her, I mean, going back to her being in the mental institute, it was only last night that it really dawned on me because I've over the years I have genuinely not at all try to think about the circular time loop nature of all this because it would just firstly it makes your head explode and secondly it might ruin the film but I've, i'm at the point now when i've watched this so many times where i don't mind that happening because it's fun to chat about it especially to guys such as yourself <laughs> and what i realized was that surely john connor grows up to send reese and the terminator back in time to sort of save himself and his mom surely at some point he just said to reese 
right? My mum turns out to be an absolute fucking nutbag, right? Make sure she doesn't blow up that munitions factory and go on about judgment day. Otherwise she'll end up in the, in the hospital bin. That is really important. Then pass on that. Your fate isn't what we create of it. And then everything unravels as soon as you realize that. Oh, and tell him as well that he's going to die. Reese, just a favor, right? Just, just a thing. Don't, be careful when you go into. I can't even remember how he died now, but just just be careful because she would have told him how he died. I'm, I'm sure. Well, it's so weird. Like, what does he do? Because he knows all the story. It's like you know. Do you tell him? It's like oh, like you know. By the way, you're going to die. Or like, oh, by the way, just like don't pull out. Like you know, one of <laughs> those. <laughs> well, you know, it's pretty important that he doesn't. Well, maybe you know? it's like maybe don't commit statutory rape. Like, well, I don't, well, the, that's the thing, though. He wants to make sure he exists. Does he say that, or does he say, make sure you finish inside my mum? It's like, you know, you've got to say one of them. And, well, to be like, fair, the latter it is, is much hinted. more important to his existence. It's kind of hinted in future films, isn't it? That uh, he never, John Connor never actually says to Reese, you're my dad, or anything like that. It's always mm-hmm. just like, you're my favorite soldier kind of thing. You're, and he kept putting, telling <laughs> you're my, what a lame leader he is. Dude, you're, you're, my, my, favorite. you're my favorite soldier. <laughs> it's an anonymous kept, Father's Day card. Stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> kept telling her, uh, he kept telling Carl Reese stories, didn't he, about his mother trying to instigate yeah. that thing. So Carl Reese was the guy that goes, right, I'll go back in time. So, uh, so I'm just thinking about Dan going up in like a side business on Father's Day cards. Just on the front, you're my favorite soldier. You're my favorite soldier. <laughs> and just like a bunch of dads all over the world, just like, what the fuck does that even oh mean? It's like, oh, you'll get it eventually, dude. Perfect gift. Uh, <laughs> gift, not gift. Having the Keanu Reeves thumbs up from Point Breaks a couple of weeks ago, just on top of it going, you're my favorite soldier. <laughs> Oh, that would really confuse the shit out of people. You, yeah. You're combining movies now. It's like, well, yeah. we 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 can only hope that you listen to the rather obscure "Hey, you guys" podcast. Otherwise, this card's going to make zero fucking sense. Jesus Christ! Yeah, we'll do uh, we'll do deep cuts, mate. All day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. The thing is, I mean, we've got obviously a little bit into the weeds a little bit too quickly. I mean, one of the things I wanted to ask Dan, and you know, you mentioned last time on the podcast when we did the original Terminator film that this one was probably the first movie. Sorry, was probably your favorite of the two. Do you still feel that way having like rewatched them again both quite recently? Because you know, I appreciate you know for, it happens to myself all the time. I'm like, oh, this was my favorite one, and then I go back and watch them, and I haven't seen them for maybe like a decade or something. I'm like, something changes, or you know, a, a film lands in a different way, or but is it still still the same order for you, one and then two? And then yeah. a follow-up question to that before you answer that is, did it fuck with your mind watching them before Christmas? Just <laughs> Of course. <laughs> the second one, definitely not. No, it, it makes Christmas. I feel empty inside if I haven't <laughs> watched uh, Terminators before Christmas. Um, yeah, you know what? Because I, I didn't feel the need desperately to watch them again before. It's because I feel like I know them well enough yeah, to yeah. chat about yeah. them. But at the same time, a refresh is always good. And having watched Terminator 2 again just last night, I watched it with the idea of, do I really prefer the first one over this one? Or is it something I tell myself? And you know what? I've, I realized last night why I do still prefer the first one. And, and this is not in any way to knock T2 because it is the movie I would recommend to other people if you said you have to see one. Yeah. Um, but it's because all my favorite bits from Terminator 2 are the bits that almost ape Terminator 1. All the little things like um, the start, the, the sequence that I really like is uh, all the mental hospital stuff, which is all this, and then the T-1000 coming. And that was all the slow slasher killer, stalker, dark vibes of the first one. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the second one, it is a bit padded out with certain scenes that either go a little bit too long. Like, for example, when they go to the desert in the middle of the film, yeah. that starts to slow down. And I think the pacing in general, and maybe it was because I watched the director's cut, maybe we'll get to that in a bit. Oh it does feel like 
because I've seen them so many times, there are a few bits in the film where I go, oh, well, I just check my phone just to see. And, I, and I'm not normally a check my phone yeah. during watching anything on TV type person. And the first one definitely doesn't have that every year, every Christmas. <laughs> I sit down and I don't think, oh, you know what? I've, I've seen this film 20 times or 30 times, however much, maybe more. Let's just go and see what's on Reddit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And well, sorry. That, yeah, so that is probably my main difference. But I don't know if you've ever noticed the similarities between the first one and the second one, because they're not obviously similar films, but it's more the bits in style of the T2 that ape the vibe of the first one are definitely my favorite bits of the it's film. It's definitely the like mm-hmm. the way you have the Terminator stalking through hallways and things like that and just where it concentrates on his face and there's just no emotion. And the, he, he, he uh, I was, and he said in an interview once about how if you're going to, whoever's going to be the Terminator has to be an actual machine. So if they're reloading a gun or if they're starting a bike, anything like that, they can't be looking down to see what they're doing because it has to all be machine-like. Mm-hmm. And I saw that interview before I watched this film, and then I realized, shit, he's right. Even to the point where he does, he's like reloading the shotgun. He's oh, not looking, so cool. or when he when he does the when he does the flip thing with the shotgun, he's not looking at any of that. So the mm-hmm. repetition that he's done to actually do these mm-hmm. and make it machine like, and then I realized, my god, that was the same in T T one as well. Just the whole the whole like machine likeness of it. it you realise, fucking hell, he actually put some commitment into this. Oh, his performance is totally underrated. Like, one of the things I noticed, like, speaking of speaking to that, is the scene at the Cyber Cyberdyne Systems, when he's up in the window and he's shooting at all the cops with, like, a, a minigun. He does not blink. He does not blink. And he, like, you know, I know it's not a real gun, but I bet you that thing is going off and the dude does not blink. But, yeah, like, little moments, like, the, the shotgun reload is the coolest reload sequence in cinematic history. I don't care what anyone says. But I thought Dan picked up, like, two perfect, like, absolutely bang-on points. One about like parts of this movie almost feeling like a remake. And the, the intro to this film in particular actually feels like a bit of like big dick energy from James Cameron, especially the future war section, which is so similar to what you see in the first movie. Yeah. But it's hard to believe that it's only seven years between the two. When you're seeing that sequence in particular, it's basically saying, look how much money they've given me. Look what I can do in 1991. Because like that sequence in particular if you put them like side by side they are night and day and you know it almost looks good enough you know if that went up on a cinema screen in 2022 i don't think it would look out of place no but in well, terms it didn't. Of compa- i mean we watched uh, the t2 release what was it back in 2019 when it came out in the cinema and it, it looked mm-hmm. perfect it was 3d at the time as well as a 3d release in the cinema and it looked yeah yeah well the fantastic. 3d release the 3d releases are really interesting one um because not only do they add like a, t- a few tiny bits of CG, mostly to cover up um, stuntman work, it's just to kind of put Annie's face on them. But one of the things it does do in terms of like removing that kind of sign that it's obviously a 90s movie is they tone down that blue hue, which used to permeate the entire movie. But um, if you're watching that version, it means you're quite often watching, you know, I think we all ended up watching the director's cut. And what that did is brought such a big emphasis on the weakest element of the movie, which Dan mentioned, is the section down in Mexico. It's always been the movie's weak link. Like, I think for like 80, 90% of this movie, it's a near perfect movie. Like, it legitimately is. You know, you're talking about three of the greatest action sequences of all time. There's hardly any fat on the bone for most of the film. And then you get this weirdly sagging middle section in Mexico, and it slows the movie down to an absolute snail's pace. And if you watch the director's cut, there's actually, from a narrative perspective, a lot of the stuff they say and a lot of the scenes are really important, like, and certainly to explaining the the kind of humanization of the Terminator. You, you know, I'm thinking the sequence when they open up his head, take out the chip and stuff. That was stuff that, is actually... Sorry. Was that in 
I, I don't remember that from any of the other viewings I've ever seen, but I it's saw it last director's night, cut. director's cut. So that's mm-hmm. only in the director's cut, yeah? That's only in the director's cut. And the scene with the smiling and stuff like that. And there are a few other just small kind of dialogue moments, if anything else. But one thing you'll notice is nearly all of them, outside of a few CG shots, they all happen in the desert in Mexico. And you can see they were just like, all right, this is good stuff. But this is slowing the movie down. Like, they are so keen to just get to Cyberdyne. They're like, we've just got to get to Cyberdyne and get this movie on the road again. That sequence, you need it from a narrative perspective, but they shrunk it down as much as possible. Because he obviously knew, the same as Dan mentioned there, is that this is the bit that slows the movie down. And you answered that for me then as well. I think you do need that scene, though, especially uh, for John Connor to explain how he grew up and how he thought things were normal, to explain to him why, Mm -hmm. like, why he when he found out why he thought his mother was psycho and things like that. So I do think you still need that scene. Though. Oh, you hundred percent need it. But like, like I said, I think some of the dialogue from the director's cut is actually beneficial from a narrative perspective, but he's clearly like looked at that and said, all right, I'm going to keep in the bare minimum. So the stuff you were talking about there, you absolutely have to have in the movie for, I think the movie to work, but he's cut it right, right back to be like, all right, we're going to have as little as we can. And then it's back on the road again, both literally and figuratively. And we'll get to Miles Dyson and we can get to another fantastic action sequence but yeah to speak to dan's point when i'm comparing the two my initial thought unlike dan is always that i prefer terminator 2 and you know i I think the highs of terminator 2 are higher than anything in terminator 1 i don't think terminator 1 quite gets to you know some of the chase sequences and i think maybe it has three of the just happens to have three of the greatest action sequences of all time in one movie but then Terminator 1, the original, doesn't have that low point. Like, it is absolutely relentless. Like, it's just 90 minutes, and it doesn't stop. And as Dan said, like, I, I don't think I would ever dream of, like, looking at my watch, you know, checking my phone in Terminator 1. But Terminator 2, if I'm going to the toilet, I know exactly when I'm going. It's in the goddamn desert. Yeah, I know we'll talk about it more a little bit later on, but you said about the action sequence of Cyberdyne. Did you notice who the SWAT team commander was as well? I've never noticed Dean Norris. Dean Norris, yeah. He's... Uh, <laughs> He's Hank, isn't he? Uh, from Breaking Bad. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and in Total Recall, and in he he, had, he was like a bit part character, and basically, yeah, Dean Norris, well, he was in Total Recall, movie. wasn't he? He was the dude with the uh, the messed up face. Yeah. The mutant, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. The guy who worked in the bar, isn't he? Dude, yeah. I never, dude, that never clicked for me that that was him yeah. until you just mentioned it. That's insane. <laughs> I just really, but, uh, he's been popping up a lot lately on my screen with all rewatchings and stuff. Dean, he just comes out of nowhere randomly. He was in like the Tremors TV show. <laughs> of course, of course. Oh, but only Rob knows that, literally. And when I say only Rob knows that, I mean possibly on planet Earth that he was on the Tremors TV show. But no, it is, despite um, its faults, though, and when I say fault, I do mean fault, because I think that's the only issue with this film, is it's still in the conversation for greatest sequel of all time. I mean, you know, we're, we're kind of it's in that rare kind of air alongside Aliens, which unbelievably is another Cameron film. It's amazing that he did two of the greatest sequels of all time. Certainly two films as well, which changed the tone of the original movie so successfully in lesser hands you know you could really have an issue but empire strikes back or father part two sorry rob to say this but top gun maverick i think now belongs in that kind of category um but yeah it's it's unbelievable that he has made two of the greatest sequels of all time and you know and like i said those changes because i'm not sure how you feel about the change in tone i think it's really smart because it's not like you know nowadays you would get the change in tone to make this a pg it's not a pg there's violence there's swearing in this film but he was like well there's no point in just kind of remaking the techno horror of the original film it's all done with a bit more tongue-in-cheek despite the violence and i think that's summed up perfectly in the arnie getting suited up you know when he goes into the bar yeah, it's that. still no, violent 
He's still as soon as they sorry. play I was gonna say as soon as they play bad to the bone and he yeah. does sunglasses yeah. for it, you instantly get the tone change because at that point mm-hmm. in the net it's still brutal and it's dark and it's like, oh, this guy's like ripping up people. But yeah. the second it goes, nah, 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 you go <laughs> yeah. and, he's got, and he does the, the, the little sunglasses flip. Yeah. And you realize you you understand that at that point in time. Arnie had gone to, he must've been doing, and I've also got on my notes. I don't know if he's necessarily lost 10 pounds of muscle or just got older. His physique is still incredible, but he now doesn't look super, superhuman. He just yes. looks superhuman. And I think a lot of everything just said there is to do with the fact that he was starting to make family movies at the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying they were going to go for family appeal with this, no, no. but just overall, I mean, there were complaints about the violence at the time. For, and it's mm-hmm. like, did you not watch the, the, the rest of the, what this was already based on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think that is, it's not a lighthearted movie, but there are lighthearted moments that instantly, mm-hmm. like you say, it makes it feel like it could have been a PG, even though there's moments that are most definitely, definitely not like the arm reveal, you know, with, oh, you know yeah. it, that's pure brutal, horror, brutal. Uh, and some of the stabby bits, like, uh, like the fingers through basically like T1000's fingers through people's faces. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. They are not, they're not kid appropriate stuff, but sorry, I didn't, I cut you up there. There, but I, I no no not so. exactly that I, I love right i'm not letting you get away with liam i love how you threw in top gun maverick and then just kept talking so i couldn't say anything so i'm going back to that not the greatest sequel to a not good film right not happening secondly the second one <laughs> you're not allowed to bring up tom cruise and then not give me a chance to rebuttal it's not okay it's fair not enough fair, fair enough okay no i'll give you the fact that top gun maverick is so much better than the original, but the original one's fun, but the original film is just okay. It's a fun film, but it's not a fantastic film. So it was it was a completely different challenge. So maybe yeah, it's not kind of fair putting I mean, it in there. I do, think, I do think Top Gun Maverick is a fantastic sequel. I, like jokes aside, I don't think it belongs in quite the same category as your Godfather just, Part 2. Top Gun Maverick just needed to not be a vanity project for Tom Cruise. We're never going to oh get away from God. it. Tom Cruise really? is just, Tom Cruise is a prick. But, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say. When, we talk, when you talked about Bad to the Bone then, I had a question about when he took the the gun off the uh, the bartender. Mm-hmm. Was it just was there already for uh, like that wasn't even the bartender's bike that was the other guy's bike, but there was a perfect mm-hmm. spot for that gun to just go on the back of the bike. Do you know what yeah. that was already just a perfect spot to put it? Like, yeah, yeah. Is is that like is that for all biker? Well, I mean, maybe in this biker gang, you know, they they all look like they were ready to fight. They all look like they had weapons and stuff. So, again, this is this is the the point break sandwich issue again, where you just keep picking up like the strangest right. things to have an issue right. with. So but- I'm not gonna go. I'm not gonna go strange issue. I'm actually gonna go something that I picked up that I really enjoy about this film is the first opening 25 minutes, especially the introduction of the two time travelers. Because if you're watching this film fresh, and you've already seen Terminator One you instant, instinctively believe that the smaller person is the good guy, Robert Patrick. Well, they dress him like a cop as well. That's what I mean. Yeah, so to instinctively, yeah. like, there, there's no hint that he's a Terminator. There's there's nothing like that. All right, he knocks out the guy, but the way he does it is human-like. He's knocked out the guy. Yeah, they do that trick, don't they, at the start? Because yeah. obviously we know, you know, based on what happens afterwards, that when he kills the cop, that he clearly sticks his arm through him and kills him. But when you see it for the first time, if you didn't know anything about it, you could just believe that he's just punching him and stealing yeah, his clothes. Like, well, same as Michael yeah. Bain from the first one. You know, and that's what I love about this is that there was no, and I got to believe, I can't really remember trailers or anything back in the day, but I got to believe it was never hinted that 
Arnie was the good guy in this film. Well, no, it's clearly set up as a reveal because they yeah. go, it goes all the way through to that really crummy hallway at the back of the mall. It's a surprising place to do such a, an awesome action sequence. Really weak. You have uh, really right the way down. As well. Really What's weak that, walls on that hallway. Really weak walls, yeah. yeah. But that, all the way to that moment when he dropped, he's got the, the box of flowers and it goes into slow motion and you assume that the T-1000 is very much, you know, your Michael Bane character. I mean, he does look like Michael Bane. And it's only in that moment that you're like, oh no, Arnie's the good guy. And I wonder how many people in the world that worked for, because obviously it's it's hard for us to judge because I, I don't like you guys. So I already knew Arnie was the good guy by the time I watched Terminator 2. Yes, so I, I, I'm you know, wondering if there was any build up to it or I can't remember any trailers for anything like that, any marketing. But no, any build up I don't think it had anything like that. No, because the, 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 it was one of the first films to have like a kind of classic teaser trailer, but it was just basically a close up of Barney's face, which was like half kind of like they used it on some of the promotional stuff, like half Terminator, half kind of human. So I don't think there was any hint that necessarily he was the good guy. So I think a lot of people went in just assuming, oh, Arnie, it's another Terminator. They've got to save him from the kid. But it's an absolutely inspired choice um, to, you know, turn the tables, as it were. And again, speaking to the, the difference in tone between the two films, similar to Alien and Aliens, you know, I think we mentioned like the similarities on the last uh, Terminator podcast we did that the first film was just pure horror. But then the second film, to bring in, like, you know, a, 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 like not only a, a motherly relationship, but what ends up being, like, you know, you could have read that on... Imagine reading that on paper. You've just watched Terminator 1, this technoir kind of, you know, horror movie, and you're seeing the script of the second movie, and you're like, wait a minute, you're going to play off the Terminator as a father figure? Like, what the fuck? And it just kind of goes show, like, just how good... James Cameron is that that relationship absolutely works like and I'm jumping to the end here but that final sequence when he gets when you know they have to lower him down into the steel and he does a thumbs up out that should be dog shit it should be dog shit but instead the whole cinema bursts into tears it's it's unbelievable that that works it's assuming the whole cinema bursts into tears mind are you just like oh dude i'd be amazed they're all all as much of a pussy as you is that what you're saying oh dude my my wife keeps telling me i'm like dead inside because she's never seen me cry but like in terms of like having like the like uh, an emotional impact on dude surely like the terminator being dropped down into the steel is up there with like your shawshank redemptions your green miles uh, Toy Story 3, perhaps, the opening of, I don't know, any Pixar movie recently. Never seen Toy Story 3, I couldn't tell you. You've never seen... To- oh, dude, the end of Toy Story 3, Jesus Christ. That is something else. It couldn't have of- been that bad, man, because it was a Toy Story 4. Well, th- that's, the, that's the brilliance of these moments. I- I'm not going to go into Toy Story 3, <laughs> Jesus Christ. But, um, but yeah, my point being is that, you know, to, to shift the tone in the way that they did so successfully, but to-, to go back to Dan's point, the fact that it still feels like a Terminator film, is just unbelievable. Like it never feels like it's coming at the cost of what makes a Terminator film. And a big part of that are those action set, set, set pieces. And this movie has Sorry, three of them. Before you go into the action set, because we're going to talk a lot about those action set pieces, mm-hmm. I, the performance of uh, of Linda Hamilton, especially when she's escaping from the mental institute and she first sees Terminator walk through the uh, the elevator doors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh my god! The the change in tone, the ch- the shift in her face as she's mm-hmm. trying to escape it, and she sees him. The fear, like she can't move. Everyone's around her, but all she can do is fixate on this one. It's like she can't even see John Connor at that moment. I love that acting. In oh, she's fantastic in that oh, sequence because she, you spent the whole film kind of like you know trains to kind of take in this idea that she is so tough at this point yeah. that she is like, you know, she's not afraid of anything, but it's that reminder that no matter how tough she thinks she is, 
it's like up against the Terminator. Like she knows she has no chance. Like if that is the Terminator in that moment and he's there to kill her, it's like, well, she's dead and that's it. And she knows there's nothing she can do about it. But yeah, she's, sorry. There's also a bit of a reaffirmation that this stuff that she's been telling herself and everybody else that's kept her locked away for years has actually come true. And even though it's the sort of thing where I think she knows that day was going to come, there's an element of not only horror and surprise and all of a sudden going to weakness from a position of, even though she was locked away, strength. I think a, a, a part of that is just that, oh my God, it's actually happening. Yeah. And that, that whole section is possibly my favorite yeah. bit of, yeah. the, of the film. That's down to Dr. Silberman's fag drop. And it's just so brilliant as a viewer when you get to realize that, there you go, fuckhead, you, this, you were wrong. Here is... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, did, I did want more for Dr. Silverman, though. You said about the reaffirmation. I, I, I just kind of wanted him to, like, well, fucking get killed or yeah. get maimed. Something. Look, you prick. You haven't believed the phrases. You've kept it locked up. You've let this guy go in. This weird guy with Coke bottle glasses and lick this woman's face. I don't know how many times, which is creepy as fuck. Mm-hmm. And he needed more than a fag drop. He, like, honestly. I is- thought it was, ama- I thought it was like perfectly pitched, just that. Like, there's nothing better than a cigarette dropping out someone's no, like, I And I feel like I need to say drop. cigarette because if we've got like American listeners <laughs> and they're like, what the hell is a fag drop? <laughs> what, what the hell's in the director's cut? It has a very different connotation, of course. Yeah, the cigarette drop is great, and it's but he needed more. The way he was, the way he wouldn't believe it, the way he just treated her like shit, he needed more. He needed a, a I know he had an arm break. But a, a I mean, what do you want him to get shot out of a cannon? I, I don't know. They're maiming from a Terminator is what I want. Like he, uh, he needs to see the Terminator. He needs to see the T one thousand, and the T one thousand needs to take a take an arm at least, just unnecessarily, just like out of no way. He's totally there for like John and Sarah it's Connor. It's not unnecessary. But he decides to just like it's not unnecessary because Doctor Silverman is a prick. He's yeah, but would you, yeah, but that's based on your emotions. I'm talking from a narrative level. It makes no sense in the film for him to just randomly lop off his arm. He just thinks he's a copper, so he goes up to him to talk oh, to him, and then he gets... I mean, there was no point for fucking Jeanette Goldstein to stab Xander Berkeley through the milk bottle. Oh, well, he was just being a nuisance at that point, wasn't he? So was Dr. Silverman, whatever his name Well, is. as far as the Terminator is concerned, he's just standing there and doing his fag drop, and that, that, that is literally it. We're going to argue for days. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Sorry, sorry, I cut you off a while back. Go back to your action sequences. I was just going to say very quickly, I think the wider thing there is he then has to live the rest of his life knowing that the entire previous moment of his professional life up to that based on Sarah Connor was an absolute lie and he was the chucklehead and yeah, yeah, yeah. and and you know where he's got to live with his consequences um anyway well, I think it works perfectly uh, and we've mentioned this when you know uh, like the brilliance of Spielberg movies is so much of you know that kind of awe and amazement that he sells he often does through uh, actors reactions like rather than showing you something he'll show you the, the reaction and of course everyone else in that sequence like you say you know the the, the reaction you're getting from uh, Sarah or Linda Hamilton is based on, you know, like you said, that affirmation, oh my God, what I believed is true kind of thing. But it's almost like, it's not just um, the doctor. What, what's the doctor's name again? Sorry. Silverman. Silverman. Silver, Silverman. It's Silverman. 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 Yeah. And, and it's not just, he's not just reacting to the fact that, oh, he was wrong. He's very much acting as the kind of the, um, the voice or the reaction action of of the cinema, of, of the cinema or the viewer. Because you've got to remember back in 1991. We all know the is real. 
Yeah, no, no, no. I'm talking about the CG effects. Oh, okay. Because we had never seen anything like that moment where Robert Patrick walks through the bars and you see it kind of mold through his face. Now we take it for granted. In 1991, no one had ever seen anything like that. So he's reacting to seeing something he didn't believe, but he might as well be reacting to the CG that's up on screen. And I think that's legitimately part of the point of his reaction. It's like, oh my God, it's a Terminator. Also, oh my God, we're all seeing something we've never seen before. Almost with the idea that if you were smoking a fag, it might drop out of your mouth as well. Yeah. So I think but there is a plan to that, to be honest. He also needed to be stabbed. Just everyone. <laughs> he really hates the talk. I so can't much. stand the prick. But he's he the least of the in... problems. I like what about Dougie or Doogie? He's the real he's the one you want to get killed. The the face licking motherfucker. Yeah, but he, he got his comeuppance, mate. He got a fucking it broke a nose. She fucked him up. She kicked him in the bollocks. Yeah, and then, but that's that's great. Like you know, yeah. the people you really want to get comeuppance get comeuppance. Yeah, so no, I'm happy to leave Doctor Silver. The people about. you want to, but I also want somebody else to get his comeuppance. Did yeah. he appear in Terminator Three? By the way, Doctor Silver. Yeah, he's in Terminator Three. He comes up out of the blue. It's so forced. It's the sequence when they go to get um, Sarah's like stashed uh, weapons. You know, they go to a gravesite, and the term like he goes up and see. Um, oh, what's the name of uh, the actress? Ah, the lead actress in Terminator 3. She was from Romeo and Juliet. Uh, Claire Danes. Claire Danes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Claire Danes. She's sitting in the back of a police truck and he just comes out of nowhere. And he's like, oh, sometimes you see weird things, amazing things. And then the Terminator, like, but does he actually believe walks. Yeah, no, he's convincing himself in that moment that what he saw, he didn't really see, that he went briefly. So he, he's still a prick. So he's still a prick, but then of course he goes up to her just by chance, and then Arnie walks through a wall carrying um, Sarah Connor's uh, coffin with all the guns in it, shoots everyone down, and he just runs off. So yes, he is a dick, but that I mean that sequence in particular speaks to the the many problems that there are with Terminator Three. But uh, I've seen it yeah. once. I've seen it once. I rewatched it recently to see it because I, I was always of the mindset that it wasn't as bad as people made out. It's got some amazing set pieces, but other than that, it is pretty bad. We've talked a few times about getting the tone right with this movie, about kind of making it more lighthearted, but still having that edge. Terminator 3 completely crosses over that line and love, doesn't quite know where it's I love how you give me shit for watching sequels and all that, right? But you're so forgiving with these horrible sequel and remakes. Like Terminator 3, fucking Robocop 2014. Like, you're so forgiving of these terrible ones, but you give me shit for watching... Like, yeah, but you're talking straight to DVD bollocks. Like, you're American talking about Tremors 4. <laughs> I said American Pie 12. You I've know. never seen Yeah, yeah, that, that's Pie, a classic rock I film. Seen, I have seen all the Tremors films. I mean, I'll give you that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, that, that, I think that's the difference. I'm willing to give kind of like a big budget swing. And I, I, I think I've you know, mentioned on previous podcasts, I always find it compelling when you've got so much money pumped into a movie, but it doesn't quite work out. You know, when you see like a crappy straight to DVD movie, it's like, well, they didn't give them much money and they made a bad movie. I don't think there's necessarily it, anything it, interesting it in that. much money. You like to see what they did with it. And... Every now and then they succeed. You got to. Oh, no, no. I'm sure. I'm sure there is some gold to be minded. I mean, if any, like jokes aside, I really should kind of, you know, get get the list from you. Which ones are worth it? Because you could probably put together a pretty interesting list of like straight to DVD gold at this point. Because, you know, you've you've waded through the shit so that the rest of us don't have to. You, you're the hero that we didn't know that we needed. You've <laughs> waded through I've these, these hours and hours of absolute bollocks to get those little nuggets of gold that another day, I have no doubt. But, I, uh, love, I love how you're making me come across. I promise I do have a life outside of movies. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Like I said, I, you know, I, I'm being critical. 
as you pointed out there, I'm the one re-watching Terminator 3. Yeah. You've just moved on to, I, I wouldn't say greener pastures, other pastures. Yeah. Equally shite, oh, but yeah, we've gone in different directions. Give it all a chance, dude. Yeah, yeah. But um, no, to get back, I think my initial point was in regards to, you know, we, we can talk about the, you know, there are some kind of weak points this movie very much, the, the desert sequence. But in terms of like, you know, I, I appreciate there are other actually action sequences, especially if you include that, include the opening sequence, the future war bit. But really, this movie is kind of cut down into three, arguably four set pieces cut together with, you know, just about enough narrative to get in there. And in terms of those sequences in particular, I, I'm not sure if any movie of all time, other than, again, maybe Aliens, which is ridiculous that Cameron also directed that, that comes close to matching this. If you think about the chase through the aqueduct, so, you know, we're talking about from the moment in the hallway, yeah. in, in the in the ball, all the way through to the chase, uh, you know, to the tire appearing in the T-1000 walking through the, the, um, the fire, which again, in 1991 would have been a massive moment. The hospital parking lot, um, you know, that, that well, the, I, I jumped to the hospital parking lot. The, the moment that you guys love so much, the, the sequences in the, um, the the asylum. So you know, when from when the term uh, the T one thousand shows up, and the bit in the left, they go down into the parking lot, and obviously it goes into another chase sequence. The attack, the attack on Cyberdyne, which goes all the way through to the highway chase, which arguably goes right through to the molten lava showdown. I say, you'd, you'd include the highway chase as part of the attack on Cyberdyne, would you? Well, I, you, there's a bit of a lull in between. So well, the thing is, you could almost make the argument. I, I agree with you there that there is a slight lull, but from the moment that the cops show up at Cyberdyne. That that action sequence doesn't end until you're dropping Arnie into the molten lava. Like it is basically one long, almost fifty minute action sequence. In the same way that the only thing comparable is uh, the Matrix. It, it, you know, other than a few moments of dialogue, from the moment that they say Keanu delivers that famous line, "Guns, lots of guns." From that moment till literally the end of the movie, it just doesn't stop. There are they are stitched together, sure, but there is nothing disconnecting one action sequence from another. They just go action, action, action. It all feels like one action sequence, and the same is true of this. From the moment the cops show up at Cyberdyne, it's basically just all guns blazing through to that surprisingly emotional finale. But I'm just not sure if there's any movie which comes close to delivering that much action. And out of those, like, do you have like a preference for like which would be your favorite action sequence, or is it very much still the the scene in the asylum? I, I yeah, I wouldn't really count that as a big set piece. Sort of from a budget, look what we can do. To, <laughs> uh, to point of view, what I would firstly say is. I think the biggest strengths and weaknesses of Terminator 2 are these huge, big dialogueless set pieces. Because on the one hand, they're like unbelievable. They're, they're almost empty calories of deliciousness in the sense that you have them the first time and you go, this is brilliant. And you see them a second and a third time and they blow your mind. But I've seen it so many times now that they don't do much apart from be visually impressive. And that, so in the long run, those are the things that make you come out of a movie going, oh, I, I enjoyed the moments at the time. But as a whole, it, it doesn't work quite as well. And firstly, they are all so good that and impressive that I'm not in any way trying to sort of pour scorn on them. It's more that I prefer the bits in a lot of the bits in between yeah. um, rather than the actual, like the truck going down the via the aqueduct or what have you, viaduct aqueduct, is absolutely sort of stunning. But once you've seen it so many times, it doesn't it ceases to impress you because all of it's got is the visual element. So I think the things that I would say were my favorite were the the bits that mostly use the T1000s um uh, 
yeah, it's more of a set piece in terms of the expense it would have cost on the CGI and the cutting yeah. edge. Because I, I think even still for today, it actually still looks good. And yeah. just very, very quickly, what you said at the start was, you know, they've got the whole, it's the whole miniatures and the old space war with pink lasers at the start, which is longer than I remember, by the way, yeah. when you go back and watch it. That, I, I on my notes, I had... I know you guys, especially them, I think maybe mentioned that it was a bit of a weak point of the first one. I thought it looked fantastic. It looks in, great in this, yeah. And, and and it doesn't age. And I can watch that fully without going, that's not bad for 30 mm-hmm. years ago. I actually watch it and go, that looks fine for today. Yeah, 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 yeah. All, all the bits with the T-1000, um, which I would say everything from him getting shelled in the initial meeting in the mall through to the facility, uh, the, the hospital facility, those bits I just absolutely love and can watch them again and again. So that's... Mm-hmm. To Dan's yeah. point, I, I, I agree. Like Picking up the action set pieces, as you've watched them over and over again, they kind of lull to the dramatic pieces. But the, <clears throat> the, my favourite one is actually the highway chase. Mm-hmm. The highway chase where they're in a SWAT truck and they're being chased by the helicopter. The reason why I love that so much is due to the fact that you got the drama in that. You've got the fear. You've got the, the emotion that they're trying to, like everything they've tried with this dude, they can't get away from it. And it, it builds up and builds up. So of, of all of them, that is my favorite part. Like, uh, that's why I would separate that from the attack on Cyberdyne as well. No, no, that's fair enough because you could actually, as mentioned, split that up into three back-to-back action set pieces, the escape from Cyberdyne, the highway chase, which I, I don't think gets enough credit. And maybe it was a bit unfair of me to kind of just lump that in because in terms of like stunt work, like the stuff they do with the helicopter, like flying it under the bridge, and yeah. it, it's absolutely unbelievable. And then, of course, you can make the argument that I mean, we've mentioned there that most of the CG in this film um, holds up amazingly well. It's almost a miracle. We we mentioned when we did the Jurassic Park um, podcast is that a big part of that is that they're very sparing with their use of the CG. They obviously know the limitation of the technology, so they don't ever push it beyond its means. You know, wherever they can, they're like, oh, well, this needs to be physical effects. And then we're going to just use the CG stuff for the stuff that basically can't be recreated with physical effects. This is, you know, this is cutting edge. It's the first time we can do this. But there's only a handful of CG shots in the entire movie, and they're all, you know, because they're sporadic and they're, you know, basically they're kind of living within the limitations limitations of technology at the time it means that they've aged quite well the only sequence which i think doesn't look great is is that amazing set piece you talked about where you've got the chase on the highway and then obviously the the t-1000 ends up in a, a massive truck i love the bit when um, Arnie i know where you're off. going with this oh, oh, yeah yeah the bonnet, he, he shoots him like it's a great sequence when he shoots him with the assault rifle and you get all like the silver stuff and it makes a great gloopy noise very rewarding but then, of course, you have the bit where Arnie has to jump off the truck and do a <laughs> forward roll. It's off the liquid nitrogen truck. It is yeah. so bad, isn't it? It's like, it I've got that on my notes as well. It's it like the so one grumpy. bit. It is so, so rubbish. Yeah. It's so unnatural oh. in the speed and just everything. It's just hilarious. It, just, it doesn't look right, but it's weird because they almost they get away with it by perhaps having the movie's most impressive physical effects moment immediately after because you go straight from that dodgy roll directly into the Asta La Vista baby, maybe the kind of the key moments of the entire film that, you know, certainly back in 1991 would have been the most memorable moment with Arnie, you know, delivering this, you know, I'll, not, I'll be back, nobody remembers that, it's the Asta La Vista moment. But when the team 1000s walking towards him, and again, it's like a horror movie, like he just will not stop and, until he's frozen. Of course, I get annoyed because I'm like, 
dude, you could just pick him up at this point and throw him in the lava and the movie would be ended. But of course, you want to shoot him because you have that amazing physical moment, um, sorry, uh, effects moment when yeah. he explodes into a million pieces. But it does come off the back of it unquestionably the movie's weakest visual moment and that, that that forward roll looks like me doing a forward roll in my 40s that's for sure <laughs> can we talk about sarah connor's luck in both films as well about when she needs it she finds a factory with everything she needs to take out a terminator <laughs> it's not you know just I mean? sarah connor though is it it's every term- every, every terminator movie dude yeah. everyone everyone find a factory you it's find like that it- factory like you can be in the middle of nowhere you can be in that desert in mexico and all of a sudden oh look there's a smelting plant Right next to the liquid nitrogen factory. <laughs> Brilliant. It's really, right, honestly, factories are to Terminator what apparently bottomless pits are to Star Wars. They're just fucking it's there. Everywhere. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, is, it is ridiculous that she just keeps popping into these places where, oh, this bizarrely has everything I need to destroy this. highway. Apparently killing, you know. They're sorry. on a highway. <laughs> and all of a sudden, like at the, the end of the highway, like the highway just leads to the factory. It's not in a gated industrial estate. It's literally no. off a highway into an open like smelting factory. Jesus Christ. I never thought about that. The highway does end in a fucking factory. Yes. They don't turn off, do they? <laughs> just at the end of the highway. There would be so many gated bits to get to that. Like, yes. Part. Well, like if nothing no else, they would just they, yeah. A turn off is the most important bit. It's like you would have to turn left here to get into the factory. But the way the movie shoots it, it's just at the end of the highway. It's just a factory. You can like, imagine the map, can you? The map is just like you follow yeah, yeah. Like, uh, Route sixty six, or that's the only fucking highway I know. Like you follow this, and all of a sudden, just at the end of it, like you go from Chicago to smelting plant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're like, wait, wait. I'm, I'm trying to get to to Utah. It's like, wow, you've gone down the road. This ends here. Wait, the, the highway ends in the middle of a factory. Like, isn't that a bit insane? It's like, oh yeah, it's pretty fucking crazy, right, buddy? But it is what it is. What are you going to do? I mean, so a- yeah, that, that has taken the edge off that um, action set piece. For sorry, <laughs> is Sarah Connor having a fever dream? Because it's like they go, oh my god, what we really could do with here is a Terminator 1000 uh, death plant. Oh, sweet, there's one yeah. at the end of this road. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not buying into that at all. But no, I, I like you said, every action set piece is fantastic. I mean, I always, again, it's one of those things. As great as those action set pieces are, like I always think, like the um, chase through the LA aqueduct is possibly my favorite. If you talking about kind of like from the moments in the hallway all the way through to the tire sequence i think it's a near perfect action set piece but because we've seen this movie so many times it's always like little things that like you know stand out to you now and one of my favorite sequences in this entire movie is miles dyson's death like like no one has just kind of the lights have never turned out in such an impressive way i don't know how much longer I can hold this. But then he has the moment when he's like, I, oh, like they, they tell him he's going to die on screen. And he's like, oh, I am going to fucking that die. That is on- fantastic. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> it's amazing. It's such a great sequence. It was like, oh, dude, this, this guy is absolute gold. Yeah, yeah. How many takes do you reckon that took? Like, we don't I'm think- hoping just the one. We don't I'm think you've, just you've, the one. you've done enough breath. Just just do one more. Just do one more. <laughs> and then just drop it. Like, honestly, mate, it's like his cum face. 
Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it is hard to kind of differentiate. I mean, narratively, you know, we know it's more likely in that moment he's going to die rather than shoot his load. However, if you were just introduced hey, to that sequence hey. out of the blue, God knows. Both of them I, do follow explosions, I'm just saying. <laughs> oh, sorry, yeah, I've never, I've never rolled the dice personally. <laughs> I think this leads us very, very appropriately on the subject of the aqueduct and funny noises to something that we yes. 100% Sorry, have to Dan, I couldn't capture it. I couldn't find it. Oh, Sorry, well, mate. I'll just have to do an impression and explain <laughs> what yes. this is then. And this is to anybody listening to this. As far as I'm aware, I am the, I am the first person, and that's not meant to be a claim because I'm sure others have. I've never seen anybody flag this moment until I mentioned it years ago on Facebook and tag people in it every year because it cracks me up. And that is in the first scene where there's the where they're going through the aqueduct. Around the time they start playing You Could Be Mine by Guns N' Roses and the little ginger mullet kid all of a sudden just goes, meh, <laughs> for no obvious apparent reason. You've got to think, he's, like, is he playing a song on the radio or something? Like, You've got to give him some sort of benefit of the doubt. But yeah, he's literally driving down the road and he's just there. like do, get, The motorbike is making that whiny sound again. So he thinks, oh, I'm going to go, meh. Yeah. Well, all I could think, because Dan has put this up on Facebook, and it's it's hard to kind of know, like, once you see it or hear it, you can't unsee or unhear it. So we'll put this up on, on the website, because it is it is such a bizarre moment. And I was trying to figure out what the fuck this kid is up to, because I'd never noticed it until Dan points out. And I thought, well, maybe, you know, every so often in movies... Obviously, they add the sound effects afterwards. So you know, you have these kind of moments when they t- tell, like, oh, they've got to tell you, McGregor, stop to make, stop making lightsaber noises because we'll do that in post. <laughs> maybe they were on like a bike and they weren't really riding the bike. Maybe it was on the back of a rig, and he just decided to make a motorbike bike sound. That's the only thing I could think because it's so weird. I think like the conceit is there. Like what Rob said is at the time, if you were in the reality rather than watching the movie. I think they're listening to the Guns N' Roses song on the boom box uh, or the ghetto blast or whatever you'd call it back in the day. And I think at some point he just, for whatever reason, he just went, yeah, or something. Because the sound effect that comes out of his mouth is definitely done in post. But the reason I find it fascinating is because the thought processes could have only gone like this. Firstly, they might have gone, oh, he makes some weird noise, but we can't capture that on film. Let's do it on post. What noise should we choose? How about a meh? Like that is one of the options. Second, and they went, yes, that is exactly right. That is what people yeah. hear at this moment. Secondly, that shot must've been really long. Surely they could have just snipped one set. If they were like, oh no, it looks like he says something, but he doesn't actually say something. Mm-hmm, they could have mm-hmm. snipped it by two seconds. Easy peasy. Nobody would have ever noticed. Or thirdly, they... They could have just not had him doing anything because plenty of people, like, you know, you've got the music on at that point. Mm-hmm. It's not like you actually need the any sort of dialogue or noise. And I yeah. don't think anybody would be like, oh, he opened his mouth, but nothing came out. Yeah, so yeah. I don't, and I don't know which one of these scenarios is funnier. All I know is that at some point, <laughs> many, many people made the decision to go, this is what we want. And yes, that is what's going out. And it, and it just cracks me up because I've never I, seen anything like it in other films. No, it's so weird. And I, I thought the only other way was that it's like the complete opposite end of that spectrum is that somehow nobody noticed that like the noise was maybe just the noise the bike made that was it because it was quite a whiny sounding bike and that he just happened to open his mouth perfectly in time with the <laughs> whine of the bike and nobody in post noticed it that was the only other thought i could come to was that it's just one of those like weird perfectly timed accents and honestly it could be the case because 
as you say, once you see it and hear it, you just can't believe it's a thing. But you might actually be the first person to ever know, or certainly the first person to document it online. So maybe it's just one of those things everyone misses. And then, you know, you bring it up. And once you see it, you're like, oh, it's just fucking there. It's been hiding in plain sight all these years. After Dan brought it up, I did watch that twice, actually three times last night, just to see. what. And it's definitely Ginger Mullet guy going, meh. Like it's yeah. definitely him and doing it's done, And it's done in post as well because it's not synced yeah. perfectly. The so thing it, I wanted to mention about Ginger Mullet, he's getting a bit close to John Connor on that bike, isn't he? No, I, I appreciate you've got to. I appreciate. Where, you've got where, to, where do you want him to go? Well, I appreciate you've got to hold on or something. But they've usually got the handles at the back or something to hold on to, haven't they? Like he is, he is copying up a lot. I'm sorry, oh, dude. I think you are giving 12 year olds a very hard time. Yeah, it's like, couldn't you look a little bit cooler on the back of that bike? I was like, him hanging on to like John Connor while driving the back of a motorbike. I'm like, ah, dude, I'm going to give the benefit. I mean, of the all he was there. missing, dude, all he was missing was putting his head on his shoulder. Like that was oh, the maybe. only thing he was missing at that point. Was just dude, nothing if he was like, if he was like licking the back of his ear and you know, kind of like kissing his neck, maybe I suppose. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's also an impatient little fucker because there's a bit when they're robbing the bank. And John like, come on, come on. Yeah. Yeah. And John Connor's got like this magical thing that can like empty an ATM quicker than anyone can stop it. Yeah, and he's like, hurry up, it's taking too long. It's like, it's literally taking two seconds. I mean, it's like almost quicker than it would be to like, would you like, how much money would you like to take out? A hundred pounds, put in your pen and stuff like that. But, yeah, it's uh, almost, I, it's like, a, it's an absolute miracle of a machine. And it's never really explained what this miracle of a machine I only is. Ever the fact that it can break into banks, it can break into the Cyberdyne. But yeah, his little shit friend busting his chops about it. It's like, Literally in Wales, it would take so much. It would take longer because you'd have to pick between English and Welsh. It's like Jesus Christ, man! Give you like how much money do you want and how quickly do you want it? But that is actually one of you know we we mentioned the, earlier the fact that few things in this movie like age it. It's it's oddly ageless beyond you know um, the, the the ginger mullet. But that moment and his use of the term "let's book." Is yeah. very much a 1991 yeah. moment. I don't think anyone's used less book, less book since 1991. I only figured it out on this viewing because that machine. I always thought, it, like, you put the machine in and it reads the numbers and all that shite. But he's actually stolen a credit card and hooked it up to his machine because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he says stolen credit card. And I've always missed that. And it's the same when he hooks it up to the to the machine like, it's basically yeah, I, yeah. I think the idea is it's like a password like a, a digit password hacker yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so it, it reads the card it reads the machine and it finds the pin num- the number that matches that's right it, it just happens to have a kind of a, a usb equivalent port that connects yeah. with every device every single device i feel like an independent day where like conveniently the alien spaceship technology is like compatible with like uh, mini mac players or like yeah it's like <laughs> oh sweet yeah it's absolutely ridiculous and from like really kind of digging into the weeds to one of the broadest questions I could possibly ask you guys. Do you think this movie is Arnie's finest moment? Because, I mean, we, we've not really talked about Arnie's performance in this film, which I think is, like, legitimately fantastic. You know, we, we talked about, like, the mechanical nature of not blinking and stuff. But I think his kind of slow humanization in this movie is absolutely fantastic. And from an iconic point of view, despite obviously being in a, any number of huge movies, I don't think anything quite compares to Terminator. And equally, even within all those Terminator movies, I think when most people think of Arnold Schwarzenegger and Terminator, they still think of Terminator 2, with, like, the full leathers that specific haircut which kind of came about by accident i think we mentioned it in the first terminator film the kind of flat top haircut came about because he burned his face off it was it was very strange but i think that kind of that look 
of like the the head to toe leather, the sunglasses, the bike, the the shotgun is maybe the quintessential Arnie moment on screen. Right? I mean, the best Arnie is obviously Jingle All the Way, especially he had a really good child actor in that, didn't he, with uh, Jake Lloyd? <laughs> well, that's a, that is a perfect example of like you know how badly. Th- things can go with having kids on screen. If yeah. you've got at one end of the spectrum, you've got everything James Cameron does with like Newt and John and uh, John Connor. And at the other end, yes, you've got uh, sadly jingle all the fucking way. But no, honestly, if you think of, of a quintessential Arnie moment, it is him walking, and as Dan's already said, is him walking out of the bar with bad to the bone playing. Like that yes. is, that is quintessential Arnie. And now before, before Dan answers as well and says, if that is, uh, if he believes it's the same before when he walks into the bar naked, we mentioned this on Terminator One about everyone just keeps having a quick little look down at Arnie's uh Arnie's dick in well, Terminator you would. One. He's naked. Yeah, but that's what I mean. But the, the men do it as well. They're having a quick look yeah. down to see how big it is, see how jealous they get. The women in this, the the noises they're making when he's walking through the bar as they're just staring at naked and like they are not looking at his eyes whatsoever. Well, it's not just, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm sure they've given him an absolute hammer. But you've got to remember as well that he looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Whatever you might want to say about his face. Like like Dan mentioned earlier in the podcast, he's not in his Mr. Olympia kind of size, which he was in the first one. This is seven years later, and he is leaner. There's no two ways about it. He looks something closer to an actual human being than he did in that movie when he was just absolutely ginormous still. But this guy comes in and he is beyond shredded, beyond shredded. He's butt naked. You you would 100% look him up and down. And I don't care if you're a guy or a girl. If that dude walks into a bar and just out of the blue and he's butt naked, there's no way you're not looking at his junk. You 100% would. Absolutely. But what I'm saying is you are absolutely. But what I'm saying is from the first one where they just had the little glance, they Mm -hmm. they went beyond above and beyond in this in this yeah yeah they did yeah, everyone yeah. had to look to the point where i'm sure some women were sliding off their chairs whilst, <laughs> whilst they're actually just staring at well, it, it, the it, it, cool it, disappearing left right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it brings me to an interesting question because i think you can throw yeah, actually, i haven't, I haven't let dan answer the, the other question oh sorry i do apologize i'll get to my name. oh sorry yeah is this his best film i i, I think well for... just know his most iconic moments and arnie at his best I think so. And I think it was something that I briefly mentioned in the first one. And that is that Arnie doesn't look like the Terminator as you imagine him that much in the first film, as in the classic leather jacket, sort of dark t-shirt, yeah, mm-hmm. combats and glasses. And I think so much of that is your uh, imagination of what he should look like is based on the second film because yeah. he is so iconic in this mm-hmm. film. And, 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 f- and I think f- to have a final word on that is like, if you we're trying to describe factually uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger in sort of some book or magazine or something like that. And you were to list his credits after it, you're not going to get, Oh, and Arnold Schwarzenegger brackets, uh, total recall jingle all the way kindergarten cop terminator two. It would be Arnold Schwarzenegger terminator two, you know, predator total recall or something like that. It doesn't really matter. You would put terminator two top billing after his name because his performance in it is fantastic. Like you say, his, it's not only his, his humanization, but also one of my favorite scenes, even though it, I don't want to say it cheapens it, but it's a bit comical. It's the smile scene because yeah, his from the face, director's cut. Yeah. from the Okay. I didn't realize that was only on the director's yeah, yeah, yeah. cut. No, I didn't. Cause I, I think I've always seen that, but I've never always seen. The no, no, it's, it's definitely from the director's okay. cut, this smiling sequence. I'm sure in, in the best possible way, he does the worst ever smile that is like a inhuman robot t- 
doing its best impression yeah, of yeah, yeah. a human. And I love it, even though it is one of those moments that takes you out of the darkness of the, the concept in the film. It's just really funny. And I think I probably mm-hmm. used that image as a gif with loads of <laughs> <laughs> repeatedly over the years. Well, no, he does have a few comedians. And the thing is, it's easy to forget that Arnold Schwarzenegger has always had a gift for comic timing, whatever you might think of him as an actor. Like he won awards for Twins, for instance. Like, he, and he's fantastic in that movie. Even if he's, he's playing very much the foil rather than, you know, Danny DeVito maybe perhaps playing the more kind of traditional comedic actor. But he's always been good in comedic roles. And one of the bits that always makes me laugh in this movie, and it's a bit, I think it's because I forget about it because it's a small key role, is the, the bit with John Connor in the, um, when he finally gets off the bike, He's like, get off me, man. And like those, like those two like beefcake guys come over. Oh, yeah. like, Did you call moi a dipshit? <laughs> like, I think John Connor's fantastic in that sequence. But when he's telling Arnie, you can't kill these people, and he just keeps going, why? And the, the camera keeps zooming in closer to his face. You just can't. Why? And she's like, I don't know. There's something about that moment. I was just like, it's a moment of levity. And what up until that point has been a pretty dark movie. I so the, like when he says as well, don't kill this guy when they go to rescue Sarah Connor, he shoots him in the knees. And he just looks at John Connor and goes, he'll live. Yes, brilliant. <laughs> I, I love that. And there's another, on this sort of similar but not similar level, there's a quote that I've always found that's pretty funny, which is just after it's like, uh, hey, Janelle, how's Wolfie? And they go through the whole rigmarole of yeah. the fact that his dog's been dead. He basically, he doesn't finish his conversation with the T-1000. He just hangs up and he goes, your foster parents are dead. <laughs> like He doesn't softball it. It's like, well, John... No. I've got some bad news for you, mate. It's just yeah. like, and John's like, oh, all right. Dude, Next he week. gets over it so quickly. Well, he didn't I, like him in the first place. Not, yeah, I know that like, they aren't his favorite people, but he's just like, you know, he, these people he's ostensibly grown up with, or certainly for, been with for the last couple of years. And he's like, they're dead. And he's like, oh, that's a bit of a bummer, I suppose. On with the rest of my day. I guess yeah. he's got a lot on his plate at that Let's point. go and get my mum. Dude, we've been talking about this film for nearly an hour and 15 minutes. We might have I've to... Got to I've got to say something just quickly here as well. Yeah, just for on this humanization of him, right? There's a bit when it's like, what's wrong with your eyes? You know, that whole yeah. sort of... Oh, yeah, yeah. Great stuff. His next line pretty much in the film is, I have detailed files on human anatomy. <laughs> One second after going, what is wrong with your eyes? And a minute before going, what is a smile? <laughs> it's like, yeah. it's like, that's like that's like sort of going, I've got detailed files on how to build a house. A minute after going, what is a window? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Is. But that like, just before we wrap up, that kind of leads in perfectly to the fact that like James Cameron, and you find it with a lot of these big movies, is like, how do you end it? You know, sticking the landing. And we've already talked about the fact, despite the role and stuff, the the finale to this film is, from an action set perspective, is absolutely fantastic. The stuff with like the, um, the twin um, uh, Sarah Connors, I, I th- who she actually has a twin, yeah, and she was in this movie. There's two sets of twins because there's also the security guy, which one yeah. was one of the most no, impressive their names in real life. I don't know their surnames, but their first names are Don and Dan. Yeah. Oh my god, <laughs> might as well be Bill and fucking Ben, might not it? But. <laughs> You know, you have that amazing, amazing action set piece, um, set piece where the Terminator, and again, how they make it so emotional. The bit where you think Arnold's dead, or the, the Terminator's dead, when he sticks the, um, when you like um, a Terminator reaching out for a grenade launcher should have no dramatic impact. But because of the way the music swells, and you're just so into this character at this point, you're just like, oh, I just so want him to reach this goddamn grenade launcher. And it's only when I stepped away from it, I'm like, this is a ridiculous sequence. But of course, he turns back on, saves the day. Everything's perfect. And it leads to that that finale when they drop him into the uh, into the, the steel, as he keeps referring to, in molten lava, whatever you want to call it. 
again, that sequence shouldn't work. But in terms of like a way to sign off a, a near perfect movie, I mean, a, again, you know, a comparison being, I, I keep using this, Aliens, like, you know, the finale to that film is just unbelievable. It just keeps going and going and then somehow manages to have an emotional payoff as well. I mean, Cameron's an absolute master of basically wrapping up huge action movies. But uh, yeah, this is maybe better than any. So in terms of like delivering from the action perspective and then on the character perspective, yeah, absolutely knocks it out of the park. But yes, we do I mean, need to move on. You are talking about Cameron, who, again, to go back to it, seems to put in these Terminator films, uh, a factory just at the end of it, just to end the film. Yeah, yeah. He loves he loves a factory. Yeah. Loves a factory. a factory at the end of this film. To end well, he does love military equipment, doesn't he, kind of thing. And I know it's not military equipment. It's just like a smelting factory or whatever. But yeah, it, from a visual perspective, it definitely works. Even if I'm now totally bummed out about the whole fact that it's at the end of a goddamn motorway <laughs> or a highway. Ridiculous. I wish I wish at some point like, they'd have done a sort of alternative ending to see how much they could have ruined the film where they went reverse back to the future. And as his thumbs coming, like going down into the, the, the ball of Melton steel or whatever, he just also starts to disappear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's a, we saved the day and it all worked. It would, it yeah. would have cheapened it to the point of being like a children's movie so much that I think it, it would just be <laughs> to see the fallout. <laughs> well, speaking about ruining the end of a movie, I mean, it depends what version you're watching, because I would argue that the, the thumb going into the Molten Lava shouldn't work, but works perfectly. Of course, the theatrical cut works with that, on a thematic level, works absolutely perfectly, where you're just seeing the highway, and you've got the, the voiceover by Sarah Connor, and it's just like, yeah, this, that's the way you wrap up a movie. But if you're watching the director's cut, it cuts to the future, like 2027, I think it's supposed to be. And you get old ass Sarah Connor, complete with old makeup and stuff, and her just enjoying the future with her grandkids. And obviously John Connor, who works in the Senate now or some bullshit like that. It's fucking horrible. Yeah. It's, you know, uh, most of the stuff from the director's cut, I would argue doesn't belong in the film. Yeah. I can see why they've cut it. Some of the narrative stuff works. I actually, despite the fact that I love Michael Bain, I think the dream sequence is fucking horrible. I'm so glad that they dropped that. I, I really don't think that works, especially the fact that she's just suddenly watching, wearing like quite sexy lingerie. Yeah. Like, I'm not sure if I want to see Sarah Connor in sexy lingerie. But yeah, I, I, if you want to see two versions of how to end a film and how not to end a film, just look at the director's cut I versus mean, you, the theatrical you're giving, cut. Uh, you're giving the studio a bit of credit there as well, aren't you? Because they were like, you can't end it like that. Where's the mm -hmm. sequels? Well, that, that's the good thing about this is that, you know, he basically painted himself into a bit of a corner. But they should the have ended, ended it like that, dude, because they the fucking should. sequels. Well, we'll get we'll get to that in Legacy. But, um, God, what was the other thing I was going to mention? We're going to sidetrack. Oh, just very quickly before we move on. Like, do you see the people in this film, and I'm not talking about John Carmesty, I'm talking about Linda Hamilton and Arnold Schwarzenegger, as like these... Like, is it impossible to judge their attractiveness? Do you find, like, because I, I tried to ask myself, because she's, like, cut in this movie, like Linda Hamilton, and she's obviously an attractive woman, but, like, I, I find it impossible to judge her on her attractiveness because she's just Linda, she's just Sarah Connor. In the same way, I wonder if people, like, you know, I have no idea if women look at Arnold Schwarzenegger in Terminator 2, because, you know, he is butt naked, and, you know, obviously the people in the, the bar are impressed. He's in great shape, but... I'm like, do women ever look at him and go, oh my God, Arnie's hot? Or is he just Arnold Schwarzenegger? Like, never, they're, they're like above that kind of thing. I've never heard of people talking about Arnie or women talking about Arnie saying I jump his bones. So I'm not too sure about that one. And with Linda Hamilton, usually you get the, <clears throat> usually you get the angry women and you think, oh, the angry sex is going to be fantastic. But when you look at Sarah Connor, Linda Hamilton, you think the angry sex, she's just going to fucking murder me. You know really I mean? a bit too intense. Yeah, but I yeah. also it's, think as well, it, it also feels like the timeline all that, she's only ever had, 
So she might be a bit inexperienced as well. She's only ever had sex once. Statutory rape. <laughs> well, then she's ended up. Oh, but then again, there's the uh, the Coke bottle liquor guy. I mean, he might have had his way once. That's, drunk, that's, but, uh, I think that I've just sort of realized a thing that is maybe slightly profound, but quite important. And that is that as you were mentioning this, I don't view, like Liam was saying, uh, Linda Hamilton or Sarah Connor, shall I say, in this film in any way as a sexual being whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Largely because I think a lot of that comes from the the humanity. And in the first one, she's vulnerable. She's a person. She feels like you can have a conversation with her. In yeah. this one, she has almost become a Terminator herself. Yes. And I've never... Like she is in inhumane. She's basically like a machine with one track mind to escape in a facility to put an end to it. And there's an interesting role reversal between what the T eight hundred becomes and what she has become. And that is effectively like a human version of a Terminator and completely mm-hmm. soulless. Even the way that she treats her son. There's no, hey, thanks for saving me, but don't yeah, you yeah. do that. It's the other way around. Everything first. And there is a I've always loved you, John, a small bit of humanity that comes out. But by and large, she is just not a viewing that you should think should be viewed in any relationship sense because she's so cold and mechanical. So yeah, I, hadn't, yeah. I hadn't thought of any of that really until you sort of flagged. Well, no, I think it, it kind of started with the Arnie thing because I think one of the first podcasts we did was Predator. And I, I think I posted at the time, I was like, I don't think Arnie's ever looked better than in Predator. He just looked like he's in fucking unbelievable shape. He just looks cool as shit. And, but I, and I just suddenly thought about it. It's just like, I don't think I've ever heard anyone, like, you know, we, we've mentioned before that um, Rob's wife and a lot of the girls down in Cardiff, for some reason, find Vin Diesel very attractive, which I can't get my head around. To me, he looks a bit like a potato. But a lot of the girls really find him attractive. And I was quite heard, surprised to hear that. But I just, like, I've never heard anyone go, it's like, oh, Arnold Schwarzenegger is my cup of tea. And as I said, I, then I started looking at it from my perspective, like the Linda, Linda Hamilton thing. And I think it's just because the role has become so, so big because she's objectively, again, an attractive woman. And it's not me diminishing anything. It's just the fact that it never crossed my mind. And I think it's the same thing with Arnie. Like people just never think of them almost as real human beings. They're just like these roles, these characters that exist on the screen. So they, they, they almost don't exist outside that, I suppose. But sorry, weird place to end before we move on to love and hate, I guess. <laughs> well, or, or is it? I mean, you never know. Well, yeah, it depends how this goes. I mean, I'll, I'll start then. In terms of love, I'll just tear through these very quickly. Um, I love how the effects have aged. Um, and again, a big part of that being the sparing use of new tech. I I think it's really wise and you see in the movies that come subsequently in the mid 90s when they go a bit too heavy with the cg those movies have aged horribly um the fact that it led um sorry to the sequels i i can't deal with that i know that's not this film but the, the fact that you know the first two films are near perfect and then they lead to well yeah, you've got three. Oh, right? sorry if I got confused. I do apologize. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, number two, the subtle, the successful change in tone. Jesus Christ. Lighter, more, you know, there's more heart to it, but it never feels compromised. And uh, Linda Hamilton's transformation, which I think is absolutely key to making this film work. So, sorry, I started reading the wrong line. I apologize. <laughs> right, so I'll, I'll go. So, basically, Arnie and Sarah Connors, uh, fucking terminate uh, Arnie and Linda Hamilton's performance. Fuck, I couldn't say your name then. Sorry, we're, we're all forgetting how to speak now. It yeah. is a Sunday morning, so. Like their performance is fantastic in this film. They do, they do absolutely. Uh, they do such a good job of what they're given. It's it's great. It's fantastic. Uh, Robert Patrick. We haven't mentioned him enough. Robert Patrick is absolutely fantastic in this yeah, film. Yeah, hardly at all. He, yeah, he's great. <laughs> the way he, the way he acts, the way he moves, the way he, everything he does, he is great in this film. He looks fantastic again. Mm-hmm. I love Robert Patrick in this film. Well, a big part of it is the fact that he is literally the exact opposite of Arnie, isn't he? Yeah. He's, the, he's the opposite of every way. Instead of big and lumbering and strong, he's sleek, he's fast. Yeah, he, he looks. Yeah. He literally looks like an animal. He looks like an animal out on the hunt. 
He's and that is in space. He is he is the upgrade, isn't he? Like yeah, 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 yeah. Like the upgrades much. always come sm- smaller, faster, sleeker. Yeah, yeah. And He's the Apple I'm version to, to Arnie's VHS, I suppose. Yeah, and uh, finally, the, the visual effects. When uh, when Robert Patrick first gets shot, and you got the uh, the actual practical effects of the of him wearing those weird. Uh, metal things and then when mm-hmm. when he's lying on the floor then and you get to the actual special effects where it actually molds and becomes him again mm-hmm. absolutely fantastic it still holds up today well that's a perfect example like that combination of physical effects and cg is right is literally in that moment yeah because the, the 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 bullet holes on his chest those are physical effects but when he heals they combine that with cg rather than going totally cg for that moment they, they've obviously decided okay well this looks better in practical this looks better in cg or that we can only achieve this during uh via the use of cg and yeah it sums up that that kind of perfect use of uh you know computer generated graphics throughout this movie yeah. sorry dan I am quite disappointed the fact that this isn't laziness on my behalf. I'm going to unfortunately echo everything almost <laughs> that you said. The first thing on my list was to say, I love the performances of three people in this, Sarah, uh, Linda Hamilton, Arnie, but also Robert Patrick, who I think is absolutely fantastic and it's absolutely testament to him, mm-hmm. uh, his performance, that he is scarier and more intimidating almost an, an Arnold, a man three times his size, oh, yeah, was yeah. because there is just this absolute... It's not even unhinged, because unhinged in, uh, indicates almost a degree of sort of emotion. It's actually just the most efficient, ruthless killing machine. And he plays that absolutely perfectly. And even mm-hmm. he, when he's running early in the film after John Connor on the, his little whiny scooter, mm-hmm. it really looks like he's... It doesn't look... It's not oh, sped yeah. up. It really looks like he is sprinting, and he looks rapid. Well, that's a, sorry. So going into facts a little bit, that is it. He he trained himself so much that he kept catching up to the bike. So James Cameron had to say, "Can you just slow down your running a little bit?" Incredible, or buy a faster bike. But you know, yeah. that, that's yeah. or, or they could have just started the bike further ahead. <laughs> that would yeah, have been yeah, even yeah. more impressive. Yeah, but he just but, kept uh, catching up to the bike. That's insane. They're just catching up to a scrambler, like. I mean, I won't add too much more into what you've said as well, because the other guys are fantastic. Secondly, uh, it's it's also the effects. I love the effects. Um, you, we've we've discussed them earlier. You have as well, but just especially the T one thousand one, I think, is fantastic. Um, and thirdly, I would say, and this is despite somebody who loves everything about eighties aesthetic and and all of that stuff, I do love the fact that almost nothing apart from Ginger Mullet's kids dates this film despite the yeah. fact that it came out in 1991 which yeah. is pretty much the 80s if you listen if you look at the music and everything else there's so many much of the stylistic hangover from the 80s was left over mm-hmm. you can watch this everything down to the, the haircuts the style even the music the stuff like you know guns and roses and george thorogood and the destroyers and stuff that music okay it came out in the 80s it's still popular or, or or 91 as actually the guns and roses song would have done but you know what i mean they were 80s there were bands around in the 80s mm-hmm. it, it's still relevant to this day. Yeah. And I think the real strength of this film is you could show it to people and uh, it, it does, it's not like they're like, oh, well, yeah, it would have been good in the back in the 80s, early 90s or something. And I, I just think that's... It's really- well, I, well I, I would be really interested actually because i was really looking out for those like obvious signs like well, what kind of place is this in 1991 and there really is fuck all obviously there's the whole thing about there's no mobile phones which is brilliant because you know i think mobile phones are a narrative black hole and, and the bane of cinema in many respects but if you somehow showed this to someone who didn't know anything about the movie didn't know anything about arnie and you asked them afterwards like when do you think this was made 
Like, yeah. I wonder, like, I honestly think it could be anything between, like, 1990 and 2005. I legitimately believe that. Because I'm like, they, they just aren't obvious signs that this is a 90s movie at all. And certainly not, it feels, like, as great as Terminator is, there's no escaping the fact that it's an 80s movie. It's got the 80s, you know, kind of embedded in the fibers yeah. of its being. But this Whereas is... this movie is really, really timeless in a strange way, in a brilliant up. way. Yeah, actually, we'll get to the bit on score, but I won't mention this now. I'll okay, know. we'll get to that in a minute. Um, in terms of uh, hate, uh, Dougie being a uh, being a wee slimy bastard. I mean, as Rob mentioned, he does get his comeuppance, so that's that's pretty cool. But just the way he licks Sarah Connor's face just is very, <laughs> very fucking upsetting. Um, I was going to obviously mention, I did mention it briefly accidentally, is that it led to an array of increasingly shite sequels. But I'm going to skip that because I always kind of... You know, sidestep what I actually hated about the movie. So I'm going to say the fact that the uh, Mexico section is quite slow, and especially in the director's cut, it definitely drags on and takes all the speed out of the movie. So that is the weakest element of what is an otherwise fantastic movie. And I really don't like Connor's foster parents. Um, Todd, just for being called Todd, it's just like the fucking lamest name ever. And the fact that they turned Va- Vasquez into a mumsy character, I, I can't forgive that. With I mean, we're man. talking about Vasquez and then turning into such a lame. I know she kills Todd as the T1000 in like a proper horror movie moment, but still, you know, what can you do, man? She's got huge hands. When she sort of puts the spike back and it transitions to that, yeah, yeah. it looks like they've used the stunt double of a man with shovels for hands instead. It's crazy. I, yeah, I, like you fucking hell, Vasquez looks like a goddamn linebacker. What's up with those mitts? Ridiculous. Was that two I, for me, oh, that was three. I was actually four, so oh, no, my yes, apologies. Counting. For me, it, uh, Dougie as well. Hated Dougie. Such a prick. Uh, Dr. Silberman. I just, yeah. I, I hated that he didn't get his comeuppance. You, know, yeah, you really hate Doc. Is it I, Dr. Silverman or Dr. Silberman? Silver with a B. Silber. Oh, yeah. well, yeah, I don't like that. Silberman? Yeah. Mm, yeah. It seems unnecessary. I hated, uh, I hated him. And uh, you called me out on it earlier on. So I will say I hated the character of John Connor, <laughs> not the performance of Edward Furlong. Like, Fair enough. The character of John Connor, the whininess of him, mm-hmm. the, the, and the whole like, yeah, you've got like a hassle of Easter baby, and the way he talked in the car, I didn't like it at all. I love it. No, not a fan. <laughs> I think it's such. I think it's one of like you know we, we'll get into legacy in a moment, but one of the, the the I guess the most negative elements of legacy for this film is the fact that Ed Furlong you know ends up being Ed Furlong. You know, I, I really think there's all the signs here, considering he hadn't acted before of him being a legitimately talented actor, and I think he's got all the charisma in the world. And it's just a, such a shame that he hardly got a chance to kind of really show that up on screen because of all his all of his personal problems. But uh, sorry, there, Dan, I've completely stolen your thunder. No, no worries. I've I've probably got about three and a half. And again, they're not necessarily hate. It's first one, what we touched on, and you mentioned there, Liam, as well, is that the pacing and the Mexico or desert section. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it is Mexico. Is it because... I think it's supposed I, to be... It's certainly... Oh, it's New Mexico. Yeah, near yeah it feels like uh, Arizona-ish or something. Yeah, is it it's in, because uh, it's very close to Miles Dyson's house, apparently. So I would, uh, I would yeah. probably go Nevada then. Something like that. Yeah, yeah, and it doesn't make sense that they would actually go over the border with all those guns and stuff. So yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe yeah, I just kind of. I just thought I'd flag that for any listeners going, no, not in Mexico. I don't know if they were, but I did. I did actually go to look it up, and I couldn't find. I, I think part of it was shot in Mexico, maybe, but uh, yeah, it doesn't make sense that it's actually in Mexico. But let's just say near Mexico. Then it's the assumption because the sort of Spanishy named guy that they're hanging around with. Um, but- well, it does that thing, even like the color tone changes, like you know the, the way that every movie shoots Mexico, it just has that vibe to it 
but uh, yeah, that that was one. Um, the crappy role uh, that we, again we oh, mentioned the, the, the one bit when I go, oh no, the, this that's just happened, and I'm now out of the film. I'm just focusing on a silly solitary on bit. The role. I'd yeah. almost rather have not seen it at all. And thirdly, and this is just a funny little Easter egg, almost. I can't remember how computers worked back then, but Miles Dyson, when they're about to go to Raging Waters or something, he's like, oh, it's kicking my ass, kicking my ass. He doesn't save his work and he shuts down his computer by pressing enter very quickly. And as somebody who works on computers and doesn't want to have his computer shut down by just pressing the enter button once, not a press and hold for five minutes. It kills me that, and I can't remember computers in the early nineties going, you know what? I'm just going to shut it down by pressing the enter key once. That kind of gives me, uh, the fear. Like, just <laughs> how yeah, would you yeah. take a fucking sentence? Yeah, like, it's, oh. it's like, it's like, oh, 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 A is also the power button, by the way it's like what the fuck how are we going to get anything done but yeah he does just like, press enter it turns the computer off it makes zero sense but that's like hackers isn't it that's well, like yeah hackers. it's 1991 they're just like who's got a computer no one's going to notice i didn't have a home computer that's like 1994's hackers where you were able to do so much with a laptop in 1994 oh yeah because they would just rely on the fact that nobody knew how computers worked they're like oh yeah they're, they're pretty much magic so we'll just go with this but yeah oh you've picked out two absolute battles there dan the, the computer thing is bad but the role really should have been on everyone's list and you know considering that they made subtle changes to the special effects for the 3d release and the the director's cuts i really think they could have tidied up that role a little bit yeah i, uh, I was just Sorry. looking it up can i say as well i know why uh why we keep saying mexico because she plans to go to Mexico with him. It's on the way, isn't it? Yeah. She says about escaping to Mexico with him, but then uh, decides yeah. to kill Miles Dyson instead. So mm-hmm. they were going to go to Mexico. Ah, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, is that everything then for Love, Hate? So we move on to Legacy. Um, I mean, we've talked about a few of these things. Obviously, the fact that it's one of the greatest sequels of all time. I don't think that's in... I'm not saying it's the greatest, but it's in the, you know, the conversation. The fact that it's Arnie's defining performance and role, arguably. You know, again, th- th- he's been great in a lot of other movies. He's got a lot of the, uh, iconic roles, but I think T2 is still, as Dan put it, it's still going to be the first one next to his name. You know, I think it is that defining moment. Um, yeah, it's it's hard to escape the increasingly terrible sequels. I mean, Terminator 3, I rewatched it. There are, I will stand by some of the set pieces are fantastic but they got the tone all wrong terminator salvation starts okay turns into a stinker terminator genesis is up there with a good gay a good gay a good day to die hard as one of my least favorite sequels of all time i really do think genesis is a piece of shit is genesis uh, the uh terminator uh john, terminator, john connor it's yeah, yeah, yeah. zero dark 30 in it isn't it with all the kind of cgi bits that flow up oh, it's the one with die hard five that had the franchise killer jai courtney yeah 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 that's the yeah, one yeah. yeah yeah which which again i won't go into okay. that because we haven't got enough time but you know putting in kind of jai courtney as has been this totally kind of shredded version of john connor like jesus christ talk about missing the points unbelievable absolutely unforgivable and it's a bit of a shame because i actually think that dark fate is a pretty decent movie and a decent follow-up to terminator 2 but one, it was too late in the day because they've already made too many shite sequels. So nobody gave a shit anymore. And the other problem is, it, as decent as that film is, it reminds you that you really should have stopped at T2 because any movie even closely resembling like a successful Terminator film, all it does is remake the first and second film. Like Terminator Dark Fate is the same thing again. You're on the road, you're running away from a more powerful Terminator with a slightly, it's not a Terminator, it's like a, a 
I don't know, half human, half Tim. I think by that point, it doesn't really matter. It's fundamentally the same movie. So yeah, yeah. Increase, they, they really should just leave it alone because as we mentioned, if you want to watch more Terminator, just watch Terminator 2 again. It's aged beautifully. <laughs> um, but yeah, in terms of legacy, obviously there's toys, video games, comics, TV shows. It's it's literally spawned everything short of its own you know, breakfast cereal. Although there might've been a breakfast cereal. I mean, I've literally got a Jaws breakfast cereal in the cupboard. So God knows there might be a Terminator one. I went to see a 3D ride in Florida. They made a short movie for um, Disneyland, and it's still there, or it certainly was when I went there like 10 years ago. It was pretty good, actually. Um, and yeah, I guess maybe it's its greatest kind of legacy is the fact that it is one of the most cutting-edge movies of all time. You know, we, we talked about it again in regards to Jurassic Park, that there's only a handful of movies in our lifestyle, in our lifetime, which have really moved the needle forward, where you went to the cinema or, you know, watched it at home, as it were, in 1991, and saw something on screen you had never seen before. We so rarely get that now. Back in 1991, there was nothing like Terminator 1. Like, that, that sequence in, in the hallway in particular, the asylum, when he walked through the... It's like you take that for granted now. And the fact that it looks so good is maybe why you take it for granted. But back in 1991, that was absolutely mind That was every bit as mind-blowing as seeing dinosaurs up on screen for the first time. So, yeah, I think that's the greatest element of its uh, legacy. But, uh, yes, score soundtrack. I only have one word written down for this, and it's Dan. So, so sorry to put you on the spot here, buddy, but uh, do you have anything for score and soundtrack? I can touch on this, I suppose, uh, briefly. I don't think there's too much that needs to be said, because by mm-hmm. and large, there isn't really. And I, I, I suddenly halfway through watching it i was like oh you might ask me about this uh, <laughs> a bit more attention but there really isn't much um they they there's a night there's more than i remember a reintroduction of the intro theme from the yeah. first one which i don't like as much because they they changed it somewhat but they made it more cine- like they took away the 80s synth style and made it almost like a typical movie score which yeah. on personally that's not as much my thing but for, mm-hmm. it's definitely for the benefit i think of the movie and making mm-hmm. it far more timeless and that bit, I think that the, the theme is repeated maybe once or twice throughout the movie. But by and large, there is there is not much score music going over the film. But what it is more memorable for is, I suppose, the two main songs, Bad to the Bone and You Could Be Mine by Guns N' Roses, yeah. which to me definitely changed the tone of the film because in slash it's a bit weird in horror, suspense, slasher, sci-fi movies if all of a sudden you have music playing in the music playing over the top of it rather than in the background so when they go to technoir and there's 80s music in it that's, that's part, different that's part yeah. of the background yeah yeah that's part of the scene as the a mise-en-scene whatever you want to call it yeah, yeah 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 as opposed to score and i think those the introduction of those songs definitely does change the tone of the film yeah. but there really isn't much to be said about the soundtrack i haven't looked into it any further or deeper beyond that and, the, and well, that's I- what everyone remembers those two like you know and this is back in the 90s when the, it used to be a big deal so you know guns and roses doing the music for this film is a massive deal to the point where the music video actually has arnie in it yeah but that's like, he goes the into the show that music video is welcome to the jungle isn't it that which is really weird oh maybe it is welcome it's to the welcome jungle. to the jungle has arnie in it and which is really weird that it's not in this film yeah, that is bizarre. That is bizarre. But speaking of uh, the score rather than the soundtrack, I mean, you mentioned the fact that, you know, it's not like heavily used throughout the movie. But one thing, it's it's more, I guess, just a sound than anything else. But that, like, the, the sense of impending doom when the T-1000 shows up and all you hear is, bam, bam, 
bam, bam, like this relentless sound, like which is obviously supposed to mirror the fact that he's this relentless creature which is constantly chasing you. And I was so as soon as you hear that music, like, oh god, it's about to go off now. But uh, but yeah, I think when most people think of the soundtrack, they they do think of Guns and Roses, don't they? But uh, it's a bit of a belter. But I I never thought about the fact that Arnie is in the wrong music video. It's insane. Yeah, as the Terminator, by the way. Yeah, yeah, totally as the Terminator. Crazy. And the audience. I, I briefly mentioned it. The only other thing, and this is the, for totally for the music nerds, is they changed the rhythm of the uh, intro theme tune, which in the first one, with the whole point of that score was it was almost written to sound like a mechanical heartbeat. And as we, when we hum along, this one goes, and it's a different vibe. And we won't get too much into it, but it was an interesting stylistic shift where they simplified it and they took out the mechanical heart element of the first mm-hmm. one. And that's just uh, f- totally for music players and anybody that's interested in don't need to go on any further mm-hmm. about it than that. So. Well, no, no, I, I think it's, you know, it kind of leans into the wider point of, you know, we talked about the tone change and even those subtle music changes, there are an abundance of changes throughout this movie, all subtle, all successful, which are built towards making this a, bro- a more broadly appealing movie. Because obviously the first film was, successful but it was basically a horror movie and this movie you've got to remember it was given an absolutely gigantic budget and even though it's a 15 i think james cameron talk, you know he knew it's like well i need more people to see this movie and he did make the necessary changes to make it a more broadly appeal- appealing movie and one of those is even like those little changes to the score and as you say the, the positive the side to it is arguably that it kind of makes the movie even more timeless so rather than like like you said we'd probably prefer that more kind of 80s vibe because it's kind of instant with our youths but when, in terms of just like creating a movie which you can put on 30 years later and nobody knows when it was made all these little changes make a difference yep and it just it just so happens that of course you know Guns and Roses are a very 90s well late 80s early 90s bands but the way things have happened it's like people are still like if somebody's walking around with the Guns and Roses t-shirt do they sell them in H&M you know, it, it's still mega popular. You, you know, somebody wearing a Guns N' Roses t-shirt in 2022 isn't exactly a deep cut, is it? Well, so, they're, they're flying up everywhere at the moment, Guns N' Roses t-shirt. I'm seeing them everywhere. They were in the yeah, yeah, yeah. TV show in, uh, well, on Netflix at the moment as well. I'm not watching that. I think it's absolutely terrible. Um, so last one is video games. So Actually, you know, Matt, sorry, mate. You said oh, last sorry. one. Are you going to let me do facts at any point? Oh, shit, we haven't done facts. Games? Yeah, I, I get one job on this, right? You've totally cut me out. <laughs> Like, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. What? Sorry, dude. Can I, I, can I, actually, I am going to steal your thunder. I found out, this is, I guess, a fact. I was always confused as shit by the fact that I was like, is he a T-800 or a T-101? Because they keep referring to him as different names in different movies. I always think, when I think of the classic Terminator, I think of him as being a T-800. Yeah. And supposedly, the T-800 and the T-101 is the same thing so the t-800 is the exoskeleton the actual terminator and the 101 is the physical appearance of the model so arnie is the 101 version of the t-800 so the t-800 is just the exoskeleton so the the skin on top could be anybody but the t-101 version is the arnie version of the t-800 and i just never knew that before i just was like what are they different models but no no it's just a different version of the same model so there you go you probably already knew that, but I didn't. No, I always assumed it was a T-800. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, it is a T-800, but the T-101, which he refers to, is just basically him saying, that's my face. And the, the, the 101 is the, the jacked-up Arnie version. <laughs> right, that's facts done. <laughs> that's the facts done, yeah, yeah. 
like you so said, mean. chill out, Dick. What? It's so mean. <laughs> so, no, do I'm, you actually have any facts? I've got quite a few. Yeah, and we're okay. getting close to the end. You realize he's gonna well, he's gonna read everyone now. We're gonna have like sixty minutes. He realizes as well. I'm the one editing this. It's just gonna be my show. I'm cutting yeah, yeah. all of this. Just all cut out. We listen back. It's just like, oh, this is the Terminator Two facts program <laughs> with Rob Westgate <laughs> yeah. for an hour and a half. I got one job. You get a guest on, and you totally forget me. <laughs> I, I'm so sorry, dude. I'm so sorry. Uh, the effect of the T-1000 freezing and breaking up was achieved by filming shots of an amputee fitted with a prosthetic and of Robert Patrick with his real limbs buried underneath the set. Clever editing makes the effect appear almost seamless. I really like that, that they just brought in an amputee and said, that's how you're going to lose your leg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, it, that is the thing. Every every element of his performance looks convincing, and it is the it are those little things which kind of all go towards making that performance, I guess, from a physical aspect. That is uh, for accepting the role in the film. Arnold Schwarzenegger was given a slightly used Gulfstream three airplane by the producer. Okay, thanks for accepting. Here's a here's an airplane. Here's an old plane. <laughs> okay, sure, why not? A female passerby wandered into the biker bar set, thinking it was real. Despite walking past all the location trucks, cameras, and lights, seeing Arnold Schwarzenegger standing in the bar dressed only in boxer shorts, she finally asked what was going on, only for Schwarzenegger to reply that it was male stripper night. Whether it was a coincidence or not, Terminator 3 Rise of the Machines actually steps into a bar during male stripper night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, one of the scenes where, the, again, the, the, the comedic tone goes a little bit too far, but if you're going to keep remaking the same film, I guess you've got to do something differently. Linda Hamilton learned to pick locks for the scene in the mental hospital where she does precisely that with a paperclip. So that was all her. Oh, cool. The first film to break 300 million at the international box office. The damaged Terminator look in the climax of the film took five hours to apply and an hour to remove. It looks great. Like Again, the physical effects in that sequence. That, that's one of the bit where the movie looks a little bit dodgy. You know, we mentioned when we were doing the original Terminator podcast that most of the film actually holds up really well. And it's only the, the sequence when he takes his eye out and they go like full fake Arnie head where it looks a little bit dodgy. You actually get a little bit of that in this movie. It's in the Cyberdyne sequence when they say, you know, that you've got all the guys in the hallway and they're like, drop him and they all shoot him. But they, they do it a lot in a much smarter way in this movie because there are sequences when it's clearly fake Arnie head when there's a bit flying off him but they cut back and forth between real Arnie and fake Arnie much much more quickly so it's not as kind of I don't know awkward a transition I suppose as it is in the first movie Right I've only got three more now because I, I realised we're pressed for time and I wasn't allowed to do the fact section anyway uh, Robert Patrick mimicked the head movements of the American Bald Eagle for some of his scenes as a T-1000 for the scene where the Terminator tells Sarah Connor about Miles Dyson and the history of Skynet Arnold Schwarzenegger's lines were taped to the car's windshield I love that. You just taped it to the windshield and let him read directly off him while you're driving. Well, he only had 12 lines in the first movie, so obviously this was a big jump up. Did he read it with his finger? That would have been hilarious. (laughs) 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 Uh, We were on about the teaser trailer, so I thought this one was quite good. Cameron, uh, Cameron actually asked Stan Winston to direct the teaser trailer. Uh, he did not want the trailer to be just early footage. So with a budget of $150,000, Winston created a trailer that showed a futuristic assembly line, churning out copies of Terminators, all mm-hmm. of which looked like Arnie. Cameron was pleased with the trailer as he had fears about audience reactions to trailer showing Schwarzenegger returns as a Terminator after Terminator in the first film was clearly destroyed. The teaser ran over a year in advance of T2's release and was shown before another Schwarzenegger film, Total Recall. So awesome. I thought that was quite good because uh, we were on about like whether or not anyone knew that the the new Terminator was the good guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I guess, that, yeah, it's again, we take it for granted, but explaining the fact that, no, it's okay for Arnie to be back, despite the fact that he was ostensibly destroyed in the first yeah. movie, because we've got a whole kind of line of them. But yeah, I remember the, the tease trailer. It ends with that close-up of Arnie, but yeah, it's all in the factory. You see all the Terminators and stuff. I just never knew it was directed by Stan Winston. That's pretty cool. Yeah, 150 grand. <laughs> yeah, it's not bad. And you can see it. It looks expensive. Yeah. Consider it's just not in the movie. Is that everything? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I didn't want to jump again. I don't want to be a dick. <laughs> um, in terms of video games, obviously tons of Terminator themed video games, but for T2 even, there were there were plenty. There was the classic ocean release for UK computers, like there are for all the movies that we cover, you know, Commodore 60, Commodore 64, the Amstrad, all that jazz. Um, there was a Midway arcade game. There was a Game Boy game made by uh, Bit Studios, which I remember. There was a version made for the NES that was later ported to the Mass System and the Game Gear by LJN. There was a 16-bit version for the SNES and Mega Drive by Flying Edge and LGN again, uh, respectively. And just you talk about like a different time, the fact that there was like 12 different versions of the Terminator 2 video game for all these different platforms. And they were all made by different companies. Like you would just never get that now. It would just be like, well, Ubisoft or something have the right to Terminator. And they make all the games. But back then it was just like, yeah, we'll, we'll give it to eight different people. So depending on which platform you had it on, you could be playing a completely different video game. But I remember playing the NES game in particular, which had a great biking sequence and the Game Boy version, which was actually pretty shit. But back in 1991, still felt pretty impressive because you were playing it on a handheld. The one I loved, I think it was on... Uh... Amstrad maybe Robocop versus Terminator yeah yeah I played that on the Mega Drive that was really cool as I said I mean you know there's been plenty of Terminator themed video games as well and plenty of offshoots but like I said even Terminator 2 there was absolutely tons but this was like as you said with the budget and stuff and and how much this made back in 1991 it was an absolute monster movie I mean shit there was a pinball machine and there was even T2 chess for MS-DOS but uh, speaking speaking of legacy by the way I just want to call out the, the absolute fucking absurdity of the fact um that they called uh train spotting 2 t2 yeah well go fuck yourself yeah that that film wasn't even very good uh, putting legacy and video games together that i think one of the wwe wrestling games had terminator in there to the point where they recreated the bar scene for for the trailer with all wrestlers as the bikers and arnie Mm -hmm. being naked again yeah, well, that, that, that's a big thing at the moment, these crossovers, and uh, Mortal Kombat's done it recently as well. The Terminator's in Mortal Kombat 11. Alongside, you actually fight the Terminator versus Rambo versus yeah. Robocop. They're all in Mortal Kombat games now, which is kind of cool, but I just don't like Mortal Kombat games, but whatever. But uh, in terms of what I'd want to see as a uh, Terminator video game now, I suppose, I mean, sadly, there, is, there has been a recently released Terminator video game, and there is a sequel to that coming up, or at least a follow-up um, to Terminator Resistance, but... You know, those games were absolutely bang average, so I'm I'm not holding out much hope for the follow-up. I think they're also doing a RoboCop video game, of all things. But in terms of, like, again, we, we usually talk about a dream video game. I mean, I would love to see one made by Rockstar Games, simply because, obviously, they're so good at recreating a kind of, like, well, I know it's called Los Santos, but they're very good at doing Las Vegas, not Las Vegas, Los Angeles, sorry, in video game format. But I was like, how would you make that an interesting open world set in T2? So I was like, basically, I want a future war version where you're playing as a human in this world of Los, uh, Los Angeles of the future, you know, kind of... Uh, with Terminators everywhere and you would have like you know like the um, the star system from um, Grand Theft Auto yep. so obviously you could go around shooting Terminators but if you do they just keep sending more and more Terminators until you get to like the five star equivalent when they start sending in those weird Terminator tanks and flying machines that you see from the start of the film so yeah a rock star Terminator 2 video, video game I, I, set in a future Los Angeles I've got this in my mental notes where it almost 
not that, but a Rockstar GTA style, you know, open world game, mm-hmm. except much like, was it GTA 5, where you can switch between characters. Imagine if you could oh, switch yeah. between John Connor, Sarah Connor, and Arnie. So you've got your three main Stop. protagonists. And what you could have is this, pl- and you'd have to do, if you wanted to make it a bit more, it might have to be slightly more linear, uh, which I would never really works for open world games. But but imagine all all the things that you could do with like driving down, like you'd have to do it mission-based. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. So they are, oh, here's the bit you've got to get your, like you've got to break out the facility. Oh, you can swap between characters now. Um, there's the bit where you've got the, the viaduct or shooting through the police station. There is tons of scenes in Terminator oh. 2 which you could add on for the purpose of padding out a game. Like even a bit in Mexico, you could, or not Mexico, the bit we've referred to as Mexico. Imagine that where all of a sudden a bunch of bandits are trying to like come and get your stuff and you're hiding behind boxes using all your munitions in underground to go and shoot everybody. And basically, if you wanted to follow it within the world of Terminator 2, there would definitely be scope for a switch between the three characters nipping or a gun shop to buy a <laughs> steal yeah, a bunch yeah. of things you could definitely grand theft auto arise out of i, I feel 100 oh, yeah whether it be set in kind of modern day or, or modern day the 1991 version or, or a kind of future war i think yeah they'd be the perfect people because such a big part of this movie is los angeles Again, you know, I don't think I always kind of pick that. You like, you think, oh, well, this is a great Los Angeles movie, or this is a great New York film. I don't think I always pick out Terminator Two as being necessarily a great Los Angeles film. But when you rewatch it, like, that's exactly what it is. It's a fantastic Los Angeles film, and yeah, uh, nobody's better at capturing the kind of the feeling of a city better than Rockstar. So yeah, we'd go that way. I'd go. Uh, I'd actually go Guerrilla Games uh, version of Horizon Zero Dawn, where you've got mm-hmm. the the future war or whatever it is but you are because they've got they they did really well with like the machines and stuff in horizon yeah, yeah. And, and things like that and you've got you've got the future war you can have your pink lasers in there you've got all the t1 the the t800s and all them but the way they've done uh with horizon zero dawn where you've got the massive machines walking through as well imagine them as like those amtrak things yeah, 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 yeah. The giant, like, kind of almost like vertical tanks that they have yeah. at the start of the film. Yeah, yeah. The, I think that would be perfect. You and in the ruins of LA, like the actual ruins as well, not just mm-hmm. little bits of LA, but full on ruins where you've got the like the vines growing through LA and things like that. Yeah, I think, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, that is uh, if you went that that room in particular, because obviously we're kind of moving more away from like Terminator Two specifically and going more just Terminator, I guess. But if you do went do go that Terminator route, you've got like the whole timeline thing. You could push it as far into the future as you want. So yeah. you really could have, like, you know, why not have a Terminator story set like 300 years in the That's future? Where, like, the human race are long. really just hanging on. Uh, the two, because I don't think I'm going to get my future war in films, my pink lasers and stuff like that. So no, I perhaps think I not need it in the game, and that's my Terminator would be the game. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The future war. That's a good show. Good show. Well, well, I think there's three pretty decent suggestions there. If anybody wants to take it, obviously it won't happen. We'll end up with a totally bang average term in video game instead. But in terms of uh, ratings and recommendations, I think a lot of people can see where this is going. Um, personally, yes, of course. I would recommend this to the few people who haven't seen it. I don't think there's any barrier for entry here, both in terms of whether you've seen the first movie, doesn't matter. Don't get me wrong, I think you should watch the first film, but you don't need to have seen it. And the fact that it's made in 1991, as we've mentioned numerous times, is almost irrelevant because this this movie is aged beautifully. So I would have no qualms to suggesting anybody has seen this film. And this is really is kind of that top tier list for me, because I'm always amazed at some of the guys in my work, at the films they haven't seen. And this is up there with,
with yeah, you know, Die Hards, Rockies, Jurassic Park, and those movies where I just assume everyone's seen it. But amazingly, some people are still haven't seen Terminator 2. So to those people, yes, and all the time, I'm like, dude, you have to see Terminator 2. And yes, it is a five-star movie, despite the fact that it does have that slight lull in Mexico, it's still a five-star movie for me. Same for me. It's a five-star film, and I would and have recommended to others and always will. Mm-hmm. It's it's absolutely great. It is done so well, even to the part where you've got whiny John Connor. But, I mean, <laughs> yeah. but no, Small a, price to pay for brilliance. Yeah, it is a great film. It is it is a, it is a great story. The the acting, the the set pieces, the, the, the timing of it, as you say, <laughs> it kind of lulls in a bit, especially in the director's cut. But it's all done really well. I would always recommend this to others, and it is a five-star for me, yeah. Yeah, it's easier to recommend. And sorry, Dan, if you're already going to mention this, but I think we mentioned on the first Terminator film, while we could kind of like um and over which is the better movie, Terminator 1 and 2, I think we all agree that this one is the easier one to recommend to those like who haven't seen the movie. Terminator 1, you have to go with the fact that it has so many of the 80s trappings. It obviously has that limited budget. There are certain kind of borders you need to get past or, or walls to kind of jump over. With this, it has none of those. It, have, it's I mean, it's the, so broadly entertaining. The three of us have admitted as well, this was our first foray into a terminator we watched this one before we watched the original yeah i no, i actually watched the first terminator first i think i think i don't know i i you can't want to go any... back and re-listen to the original no terminator. no and uh, honestly i'm not even sure if i would have been convinced then because it was around the time rather than it being like i didn't see them in the cinema um because i was too young i mean 1991 i would have been nine years old and this movie was a 15 but it was based around you know we got a vhs at the end of the 80s, early 90s. So I'm not sure if I saw this before, Term- if I saw Terminator 1 before Terminator 2 came out. And apologies that I gave you a different story at the last one, but I, I, I can't be 100% sure, but it would have been close. But as to, you know, I, I think I was just already aware of the narrative surrounding them, but God knows. Sorry, Dan, I'll let you get on. I mean, I'm obviously with you. I'm not on this podcast appearing because I think it's like a three star. <laughs> that would be so. That would be the biggest shock. Like, I joined, we watched it three stars. Not our first. It, it's obviously a five star, and and as we've mentioned, it is a heavy recommend, and it's one of the biggest recommends I get. And I think a lot of that is I fully understand that you would have to like that sort of thing to like the Terminator. Mm-hmm. With this, you would have to actually just hate films <laughs> to get yes. something from this because like you say, it's got broad appeal. What it successfully does is somehow mur- it's, yes, it's a little bit of a sci-fi film, but only in loose concept. It's not a sci-fi film. It's not a horror film. It's not so scary that it would put people off, but it's enough yeah. darkness that uh, it's got enough comic relief that you could appreciate it if if you're maybe a little bit younger and also it's just got all of the explosions and set pieces and big budget and fun effects and mm-hmm. and everything you want and some uh cat good catchphrases throughout there as well which always makes something for better or for worse always makes something last a little bit longer yes so all in all it's like you would really have to be so i wouldn't say if somebody would call themselves a film buff or even just casually, yeah, I like films, but they were like, nah, I tried it and I didn't like it. I would mm-hmm. be very, very questioning. But, you know, each- yeah, I, I think you've, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. The fact that you would almost to hate this film, you would almost have to hate cinema. And it's weird, like, despite the fact that there is sci-fi here, you know, obviously you can dig as deep as you want to go kind of thing. And there are horror elements. To me, it almost ends up on the kind of extreme end of the kind of Indiana Jones spectrum. Indiana Jones has sci-fi, you know, kind of magical, so all, all sorts of things. But it, it, it's ostensibly a family movie. It's just, you just think of it almost as just a movie in its purest form. And 
And this, yes, it pushes things a bit further with some of the violence, but I think it belongs in that same category. It's so broadly entertaining, despite that the fact that it has all these odd trappings on the side of it. Again, I think it speaks to just the brilliance of James Cameron that he's been able to pull that off, that it doesn't feel compromised, despite the fact that it oddly works like a like a family movie. You know, you you tell like you know an eight year old, it's like, dude, you've got to watch this. Grandpa hasn't watched it. Watch Terminator Two. It it, it doesn't matter. It's that entertaining of a movie. And it's not as sweary as my, maybe I just sort of desensitized to that, but mm-hmm. my memory of it as a kid was, oh, this isn't something you should be watching. Like if yeah. I think eight-year-old me or however old I was, was thinking I probably shouldn't be watching Terminator 2. But watching it now, it's like, other than the fact there is a couple of gory bits that I could understand it would be mildly harrowing for a child. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel as, apart from the odd little, hey, you know, chill out dickwad type thing. It's yeah, yeah. Full of, it's not full of the swearing that my brain no, this is the, watching it at the time. This would be a 12A, no. Yeah. I think it's still a 15. I think it was because it was re-released in the cinema for um, the 3D version. And I think it's still hanging on to the 15 rating. I might be wrong, but I'm, I'm sure I, I looked that up because I was like, I don't know if it is a 12A now, but I think it is still just hanging on to a 15. And I think it's because there are a few uses of the F-bomb. I think that might just be hanging on. And, and you know, Dan mentioned it earlier. I, I, we didn't really go into the scene in any great detail, but the bit when Arnie rips his, basically the skin off his hand, like that's still pretty fucked up. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's a movie which really kind of walks that very careful line in terms of being, well, this is, you know, a family friendly entertaining movie to being a bit of a horror movie. It's, it's quite bizarre and certainly unique in that regard. But uh, regardless of what, whatever your views on it, one thing for sure, it is a five star film and everyone should share that. I think we can all agree on that. And we have all agreed Believe. on that. So yeah, we have no idea what we're doing next week for the podcast. We'll put that up on Facebook at some time or another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where's it going? I have to pause this now. So yeah, that was Terminator 2 with uh, special guest Dan Goldsworthy. Thanks as always, Dan, for joining us. Hopefully you can join us again relatively soon. I'm sure we can find other Terminator movies. Three. <laughs> yeah, Terminator 3. Yeah. No, Jesus Christ, no more Terminator movies, but I'm sure we can find another movie that you're particularly keen on. I'm, I'm sure Terminator 1 and 2 aren't the only movies that you like. I tell you what, if, thank you ever so much. I've really enjoyed being on this. Um, I, I'd say if you ever do one of the original Star Wars trilogies or Demolition Man. I think those would probably be my... <laughs> I wasn't opinion. expecting that as a combination. If we're going to do Star Wars or Demolition Man... Demolition Man would be an interesting one because we'll have to get Dave on for that as well. We'll have a four-way Demolition Man. I mean, I mean <laughs> Wow, that sounds aggressively homosexual. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's probably a few more. I was just thinking, obviously, there's no point in having me on if it's something that I don't actually know about or can, can't offer anything, which I think I probably just, even if it's a small bit... Do for the Terminators. And those ones are just, they were just off the cuff things that it's like, I really, really love them. I've seen them far too many times. Yeah, yeah. But I'm sure we can chat, you know, I won't drag on too long. I'm sure we can chat about that in the future. And I'll, I'll put it at your leisure. I certainly don't want to be. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I do, I'm actually liking the idea now of getting Dan and Dave on together for Demolition Man. No, no, I think it'd be great because Demolition Man is a movie we should really do. And I, I, I probably got very different opinions on that movie to you guys. Not that I dislike it, but I do have it. I don't think it's as great as some people suggest. So yeah, Demolition Man, we'll get to that at some point in the future. But as in regards to next week, we're going back. I think this is our first 70s movie, I think. Um, we're going to uh, Spielberg's... No. Closing, no, well, I'm going to get around to it anyway. Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I rewatched um, part of it recently, and that movie really is fantastic. Don't get me wrong, it looks like a movie of its time, but it has all the hallmarks of an absolute Spielberg classic. So, um, yeah, I'm Derek. Here's a fun one for you. Never seen it. 
You've never seen it. Well, this will be very interesting. Never like, will you? We, we, you know, we mentioned obviously just a moment ago the, the fact that there are certain hurdles in the way of like potentially, you know, enjoying Terminator because it feels like an eighties film. This feels like a seventies film. You know, it's very much set. It very much feels like a seventies film. So yeah, are you going to be enjoying? It? Will you be able to go over the fact that you know the, the effects are very much in the time? Who knows? But yes, please do join us next week for Steven Spielberg's Close Encounters of the Third Kind. But for now, thank you very much, Dan, for joining us this week, and thank you for listening to our Terminator Two podcast. Cheers, everyone. Bye-bye, you guys. So where, where can people actually find us? Oh, well, people can actually find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at HeyYouGuys80s. You can also drop us an email at HeyYouGuys80s at gmail.com. We like to read them out on the show, so please feel free to send them in. Any recommendations, just get in touch with us. We do like that. And we'd like to thank, as always, Darry Fletcher at Darry Doodles for the fantastic artwork that we're now producing. Cheers, Darry. And a big thank you to Alexander Ortolan for the uh, awesome intro music. He has no media presence, as far as I can tell. He's very mysterious but uh, makes great music so thank you very much and we'll see you next week thanks for listening bye